Welcome everyone to Davos Fingers episode 152, The Wind and the Wheel. This is Scatty, and with me as always is my buddy Matt. Heidi ho, Blood Riders and Scatty Man. We're going to have Hello. a good one today. We're sprinting well, to the so. end here. Yeah, it's uh, it's a bit of a whirlwind ending, to be honest. Kind of is. There's just so much of it. You kind of almost get to the feeling that it's not going to end, and then all of a sudden... You know, this will be what? Maybe like our second to last episode? Will the next one maybe be our last episode? The next one is our last episode for Name of the Wind, yeah. And then Beautiful. Beautiful. Wise Man's Fear. Yeah. Excited. Uh, so, I mean, we're getting into later chapters. When was it, What was the last book you read, Blood Rider, that had chapter numbers that went into the 80s? The 80s. But that's yeah. where we're going today. This episode covers chapter 79, which is called Sweet Talk double entendre there. Mm -hmm. And it goes all the way through chapter 87 called boldness. We're going to get a ton today. Quoth dragon killer and quoth wind talker flex their biceps in this section of chapters. We've got sprinkles of Auri. We've got Denna. We've got Elodin. We've got the always supportive Will and Sim. It's a fun return uh, to the university after a quick, I don't know, weekend getaway for our boy Quoth. Yeah, on the way up, we get, uh, on the way up to Trebin, we get, uh, what, like 12 pages of horseback riding descriptions or something. Maybe it's eight pages. Horseback on the way, on the way down, we get, went to the docks, we arrived back at midnight. <laughs> like, it's, it's immediate. We get nothing. Um, so, yeah, it, uh, and Pat, regarding the chapter numbers, he really pads his stats here with a couple, uh, couple one pagers just a couple quickies yeah 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 mm -hmm. several quickies uh in this in this episode but yeah we'll get through uh i think there's only like 35 40 pages left in the book um at, you know as as the paper books go um for our next episode so yeah coming coming to a close real quick uh we got some announcements uh it kind of came together between episodes and so it will have actually already happened by the time this releases for most people but yeah. i am joining uh Sanrixi and and her Sanrixian and her squad on sunday for sanri scribbles uh we'll spend time chatting and drawing and laughing with each other and uh we'll discuss the upcoming song of madness matt it's coming we've had some fun putting that together and you and I got to talk a little bit about how much I should really unveil to the Sanrixian mm. crew a little bit. Yeah, we should probably come to an agreement. Because we have also coming for the following Saturday, a patron event. Yeah, February is, which, 24th. Which is what, Matt? Something we've never done before. Yeah. Uh, in previous years of A Song of Madness, we've revealed the bracket online, uh, social media, through Twitter. We just post it up there. We are going to do an online bracket reveal party. Trust me, it might feel like that's a 10-second thing. It's not. It's going to be a whole thing. It's going to be fun. You are going to hate it. You are going to love it. You and will feel gonna... misery. You will feel pain. You will feel woe. <laughs> and you will feel exhilaration beyond your greatest imaginings. And excitement and chaos. Mm -hmm. and And hopefully... You'll you'll join us uh, and talk about it as a patron. Um, we're doing that at uh, yeah in the afternoon on the next Saturday, and again uh, this will release I guess the day before that actually takes place to patrons. So hopefully That's we'll true. see several of you there. 
Um, last announcement, I guess, last official announcement, I guess. We've we've moved to our every three-week schedule again uh, with episodes releasing um, releasing on the 5th and then uh, this episode will release on the 26th. So hopefully you've noticed that frequency pick up a little bit. Uh, what else, Matt? Something released today that got us excited. Bro, you more than me. Me excited for you. Mm-hmm. We got a little. We got a little trailer for La X Men, mm-hmm. um, which is a huge, a huge part of your life, especially your young life. Yeah. And after Christmas has been actually a huge part of your sock drawer now too. <laughs> That's right. Thanks, That's thanks right. to your buddy Matt. That's right. So, what did you think of of uh, X Men '97? I think it's called right. Yeah, I'm really excited. Um... Disney Plus series. I, you know, we, this has been talked about for a while. It's been in the works for a while. Mm. So it's not, it wasn't a surprise that it was happening, but I didn't know they were releasing a trailer anytime soon. I didn't even know what the release date was, but seeing it got all the, all the, all the nostalgia juices flowing. Uh, that was similar how animation style and everything, right? It looks like, identical to me. Yeah. yeah. And the voice actors sound from what I can tell, they sound the same. Um, Cyclops for sure. If it's not the same guy, it's a dead ringer. Um, but it looks like a, a fun cast, uh, basically the same cast from the, the show in, in 1997, which is you know why they named it what they did. That show very informative on my on my comic book life, uh, very informative on my sister's entire life, uh, basically led to her, you know, wanting the career that she that she chose. And uh, I'm really excited for it. I am going to start a rewatch of the original series like right now. And uh, make sure surprise. That's what we're doing for this episode, guys. (laughs) Episode one. Let's go. Make sure I get to the end before release day. But yeah, I'm very excited. That should be awesome. Um, Have you talked to your sister about it? Kelly Thompson, friends, prolific comic artist, writer, excuse me, not artist, writer. Yeah. If you're an artist of words, talked about her a lot of times, but if you're newer to the podcast, Kelly Thompson, the comic book writer, is my sister uh fantastic human uh very talented um you know for work in the marvel universe and now she's writing birds of prey for dc um but uh wrote gambit and rogue series when they got uh when they got married earlier and did did, an, did a little run with x-men and done lots of stuff mm-hmm. so anyway yeah very excited uh i haven't talked to her yet uh had a little bit a little bit of a busy afternoon getting ready for this. So, but uh, hopefully you'll talk to her tomorrow sometime. And let's not forget one of her most important series, Gem and the Holograms. Gem and the Holograms, which which I'm... has been incredibly informative on my young one, Leia. Yes. Leia's right. very into Gem and the Holograms. Yeah. Lots of, lots of things. Yep. Uh, all right. Well, let we me talk? ask you this, Scott. I got okay. a really important. This might okay. be one of the most important questions I've ever asked you on the podcast. Oh no! I was thinking about it as I was in the restroom prior to. Uh, I prior to, know. I didn't need to know that. Well, you know, pre-show dump. Uh, who would you rather guest on the podcast? Ooh. With us, Gambit. Or beast. Oh, that is a good question, right? Because you're going to get two very different styles. Both could be very fun. I think. I think 
beast with not to like toot our own horn about how like intelligent we are or whatever, but I feel like beast would fit in better. He'd have to dumb himself down for us like quite a bit, but Gam Gambit, I feel like would not want to talk about any of the stuff we're talking about. Right. Which would be fun. Right? <laughs> Which would be fun, but I'm not sure we could keep up in, in a way we'd be able to keep up with him less than we could keep up with beast <laughs> in a way. That's, that's actually true. That's actually yeah. true. But I do love Gambit. He's my favorite character. But mm -hmm. uh, I think I'd rather Beast is up there as well. I think I'd rather have Beast for us. Wouldn't that be fun? Oh yeah, it'd be really fun. Sure. Like good old, good old Henry McCoy. I've started realizing that I need decompression moments, and one way I've started to decompress is I have branched out into podcasts a little bit. With the every comedian now has a podcast. Mm -hmm. Every comedian does. Yeah. And many of them are just mindless. They have no real set agenda, as far as I can tell. They just, they just get on jabber. and talk. Yeah. And yeah. They, they appear on each other's podcasts all the time yeah. and as guests, and they just talk. And it's hilarious to me. I think it's so funny. Yeah. Um, it's like a mutual admiration society, right? Totally. You guess with me, I'll guess with you. We'll get this guy, him join, the, join us both and... Six months later, they do it all over again. Re record something as frequently as possible. Get the advertising dollars. Yeah. One podcast that I I listen to, to my embarrassment sometimes, is Matt and Shane's Secret Podcast with Shane Gillis, who's doing real well as he is a comedian right now. He's had a podcast for a long time called Matt and Shane's Secret Podcast. And they don't even have like an opening introduction. Uh-huh. Like they don't even yeah. say, hi and welcome everyone to Davos Fingers. They just... Just the talking. podcast starts with them in the middle of a conversation. <laughs> they don't even say who their special guest is. They yeah. just there's a third voice talking. Yeah. And either you recognize the voice or you read the description on the podcast, <laughs> like on your, you know, your podcast player to see who it is. Otherwise, yeah. you don't know. Yeah. Well, they <laughs> no. they got a, they got a lot to learn from us about yeah. the right way to do a podcast. That's right. Especially sure. how we're spoiler-free, right? Yes, we are spoiler-free uh, for King Killer Chronicle until the end of the podcast when we'll get to a spoilery session called Debbie After Dark. So we won't spoil future content, of course, uh, for chapters or material covered in the series later in this episode. Yep. We love to hear from you guys. And we actually owe some responses to a couple people. Sorry about that. Uh, Twitter, because I got to a couple Twitter ones today. Oh, good. Thank you. Those were the ones I was talking about. All right. Um, but still, we love reading what you write, even if it takes us a minute to get back to you. So you can find us at wearedavosfingers at gmail.com. We're, of course, on Twitter and Blue Sky, both at Davos Fingers. You can find us on Facebook and learn more about our Patreon program. If you want to sign up to attend that uh, live black bracket reveal party, it's open to any and all patrons. You can find more about our program at patreon.com slash Davos Fingers. You know, we, we didn't call it a reveal party, and I almost now want to go rewrite the post because that's a better name. Yeah. Well. We just came up with it. Just on the spot. Just better than bet, just the, better than what we had. We the, bracketeers. the Bracketeers. The Bracketeers. The. Yeah, I don't know. The Bracketer reveal party. The, to, today I called the Sanry Scribbles gang the Scribblers, and I hope that they adopt that. I hope that that survives. You hope that hope that catches on. We'll see. Yeah. I'll bring it up with them. If you could bring it up on Sunday, that'd be great. I'll just start using it. I mean, yeah. What are they going to do? Not the scribblers. That's yes, cool. We love them. Anyways, we do love All them. All right. Sweet okay. talk. You ready? Talk. I'm There's ready. Sweet talk. 
It's double entendre, as you said. Sweet talk. Here we go. Took about two hours for Den and Quoth to return to the Greystone Hill, in which Denna became, uh, that's two hours in which Denna became more and more manic, still high on the resin Quoth was worried would kill her. At least he could put all of her energy to good work, uh, building a massive fire with which to lure the Dracus to his death by resin overdose. For more on that, please see episode 151 of Davos Fingers. As she gathered wood, Quoth set to deciding how much dinner resin to use in this uh, in this poison bomb. Too little would do nothing, but he didn't want to use any more than he had to. I mean, after all, by his estimates, their overall haul of dinner resin would be worth anywhere between 50 to 100 talents to an apothecary. So he wanted to get it just right. So he started by taking an amount about the size of a pea, which he estimated was what Denna had ingested. He then tripled that, then tripled it again. Still unsure, he times that by 10, then times that by nine. At this point, Denna looked over his shoulder and still thought it too small, owing to the fact that the Dracus may have built up a tolerance, you know, like uh, Wesley and the Princess Bride. So um, they added more and more. Then they doubled all that. Then they doubled it again. Goodness gracious. This guy's going to have no money left when he tries to illegally sell this dinner resin. Uh, with over a third of their haul stashed into a bucket close to the fire as bait. A third. Denon both settle in to wait. By this point, Denna's uh, mania, mania was fading, replaced by delirium, exhaustion, and of most worry to both a little difficulty breathing. After a sweet moment where Quoth asked Denna to unbutton her shirt a bit so he could listen to her heart, and in which she compared his face to a perfectly organized kitchen, the two climbed to the top of the Greystone Arch where they'd hidden during the first appearance of the Dracus to wait in safety for it to appear again. As night fell, Denna invited him to keep warm by cuddling and then spooning as she drifted off to sleep. It felt like the most wonderful moment of Quoth's life. Just then, Denna perked up and made a confession. She knew, she said, that Ash didn't die at the Mothin farm. He'd come and found her after the atrocity had occurred, saying that if she was found unhurt and as the only survivor, people would be suspicious. He'd gotten her permission, demanded it really, to injure her to the point that she would be a credible survivor in the eyes of the townspeople. Quoth was filled with disgust, bile, and anger towards Ash, telling Denna that any man who would dare do what he did to a woman was not worth her time, especially as her patron. Denna replied defensively by saying that Ash was her only option and she didn't she didn't have much of a choice. Unless Quoth would be her prince gallant, her protector, the keeper of her virtue. Would he be that? Denna asked. I will, Quoth replied, but by then, she'd already fallen back asleep. That's the end of the chapter. Yeah. I think early on, Denna has the idea, I think she just says casually, just give him all of it. She does. Said that. And it just seems like the easiest solution, right? Like, take money out of it. It really is. I mean... It's it's hillbilly math they're doing a little bit to 
to uh, to get to the answer. But it, it actually it feels it feels logical what they're doing, right? To to get to the real answer, they it does. do a bunch of multiplication. They use a bunch of math using weights and everything to get to a real number, and then they double it, and then I think they double it again, and yeah, it feels like it should be enough, right? It does feel like it should be enough. And I think that uh, the angst I feel towards that is just come from how worried he's always been about money through, you know, 80% of what he read, of what we've read so far in this book. Mm-hmm. Money has been on his mind. Yeah. It's all about the Benjamins, to quote, much yep. of the time. And mm-hmm. I just see that money just fluttering away mm-hmm. or being packed away in a bucket. Here's the part that I... That I don't get though, because he's you know he's made it clear that the safety of the people is the main concern, and Denna agrees, even though they're both very motivated by money. They both agree the safety is the most important. Quoth was already come forward and said those scales are worth a billion, like not a billion, but they're the scales are worth a lot themselves. So just kill it fast. It's sitting right there. That's Take true. The scales, and then you can still get money. That's true. Yeah. Right? Like, yep. I don't know, harvesting scales, that might be like really hard to do, like ripping them off its body or something. I don't know. But right. um, feels it feels like they just come off sometimes when he's rolling around. So seems doable. Yeah. Also, maybe they're yeah. too heavy to carry too many. I don't know. I mean, they I mean, certainly could feel... carry the whole body's worth because they're not as big as it is. But yeah, you're right there, too. The dinner resin is more transportable. Yeah. Ethically, you'd almost feel better about a Dracus scales yes. than Denerezin that could potentially be used in illicit and harmful ways. For sure. You're going to have to tell a story to whoever you're selling it to either way. That's true. Where did you get this? Well. <laughs> we found it. <laughs> yeah. In <Yeah>. Mercia. <laughs> there you go, Chase. Yeah, mark it down, Chase. Uh <laughs> Coconuts tropical. Oh god. Are you suggesting the coconuts migrate? <laughs> Not at all. They can be carried. Uh five yep. pound bird cannot carry a one pound coconut. <laughs> uh where do we go from here? Um the patron stuff, the, the beating stuff. Oh, that's hard to read. It's hard to talk about. It is. Uh, perhaps a trigger warning there. Yeah. Right. Uh, for yeah. DV. For sure. What I don't quite understand is why would Denna have to go back to the town anyway? If Ash is just going to disappear and go off into nothing and really cared about her. Why wouldn't Ash just take her with him, bypass the town altogether, and get out of there? Exactly. Why does she have to remain? Why go to the town at all? Uh-huh. Yeah, that that's the that's the note I have too. Uh and they don't even have to leave together if he doesn't want. If he's if he wants to separate, fine, go. But like just tell her to leave. Just tell her to walk that way, away from the town, circle around back to the road and disappear. You don't she doesn't have to go back to the town and be a, you know, be a witness. Yep. You know, if 
if we think, I can't remember whether we've covered this in the main line or not, but if if we think that Cinder is, uh, you know, part of this Chandrian group, right, that is trying to get rid of, you know, whatever evidence at Mothin Farm, like Quoth thinks, um, if he's engaged in that somehow, then then he you'd think he wouldn't want any witnesses going back to Trevin to talk about it, right? Sure. If the goal is to get rid of the information, so it seems like it'd be in his best interest if she did just walk away. Sure. And so then you get into, okay, if I assume we're not smarter than he is, so so why did he do it or did he not do it? Did she get those injuries a different way? Yeah. They want someone to bear witness, but she didn't really bear witness yeah. At least direct witness. She saw fire. She saw shadow. According maybe to they want that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe more in Debbie after dark a little bit, but something, something isn't adding up for sure. Right. You got to think that he would be thinking like we are. You got to be thinking that she wouldn't want a beating. And if he's making her beg for one, that she would also think of that option of like, Hey, how about we don't hurt me? And how I just I away. don't get my arm broken or so whatever. There, right. So there must be a reason they did this. Right. It isn't what they're telling us. Uh-huh. Right. And I don't I don't think we know what that is. Yeah, I don't think we've identified it. Maybe some speculation. Um because she didn't even go to the town in the first place, if I remember correctly. If not to maybe just pass through on her way to the farm. Like she wasn't well known in the town. No. She didn't establish a rapport or a relationship with anybody. No. As far as we know, she went straight to the farm and everyone at the farm died. So she could have left and no one would have been like, hey, where is that one girl? Like she might have passed through the town. I don't remember. It might have like said, yeah, have, maybe just like, like on her way up. But even, yeah, even so, like, so what? People pass through towns all the time. Yeah. Grabbed like, a 32 ounce from the 7-Eleven on her way up there. I don't know. Yeah. No, she yeah, was going if, to sing. She wasn't going to drink soda. Yeah, it feels... <laughs> <laughs> it's fair. A little bubbly, a little bubbly a in the throat. Yeah. Uh, it's true. I, I mean, I think, I think... I think they're right in the sense that if she was going to go back, her not having a scratch on her would have been suspicious but yeah don't go back don't go back it seems seems silly yeah um, and we'll get to it in a later chapter but sim brings this up quoth mm -hmm. is i think so enraged at someone being willing to hurt her that he doesn't really it doesn't even compute for together him. Yeah. in the moment but, but surprising but uh did i say sim will will brings it up later and we'll get to that too um how about how about Denna herself? So so let's presume she's being honest and that she's not weaving some thread of a lie or something to him while she's got this Denna resin dreaming, you know, lethargy going on. Just kind of sad in this Super delirium. Sad. And also maybe I don't know, truthful. Denna's one of those characters I think that has a hard time telling people what she really feels and being vulnerable 
mm-hmm. right? Um, and she tells him some things when, when he's listening to her heart. Um, she says, what does it say? And he says, nothing that I can hear. And she's like, listen harder. Yeah. It like, like she wants him to hear it's telling you something, right? Um, sometimes, I mean, I know you don't have much experience with this, but sometimes people use substances to like let their guard down to, sure. to get their feelings out, to share something there, you know, to let their barriers down to share something they wouldn't normally share. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, that we think makes us too vulnerable to do. Um, and sometimes by not sharing that, we're hurting ourselves, right? 100%. Make, I mean, I only, embarrassing, I suppose to admit, but I only got with my girlfriend in college because we were both drunk and we were both <laughs> saying saying things we probably never would have said sober, right? Nothing super untoward happened or anything. Um, just confessions of, hey, I kind of like you kind of stuff. Um, and sometimes alcohol helps with that. Do you think... Do you think she just do, do you think she's feeling something for him and just trying to like get it out? Absolutely. Yep. I think she's totally into him. Yeah. I think she feels very strongly for him. Yeah. And it's, for his for his part, yeah. he says it's best to humor people. Uh which is funny. Because he does think about her all the time. It's a classic, it's a classic love song right here. Yeah. It's two POVs feeling the same thing. Yeah. My favorite line is, it's enough that I get you sometimes once in a while. I know I'm lucky for that to get you just a little. Right. Mm -hmm. Perfect song. It's a perfect song. Fact that exists. Go out there and listen, guys. Band is Tiny Moving Parts. The song is called The Midwest Sky. Midwest sky. Very, yeah, very it's a beautiful lyrics. song. Uh he says a small portion could make me feel like I was worth something. I want to exist in your heart just a little bit. No, exist no. in your heart just a little bit. They're a fun band. You know, like like a emo screamy band a little bit. Mm. But usually that's very there's like very sad, dark stuff. They're like happy emo if that works. They're a little bit screamy, but they're happy. It's like a joyful song. I want to exist in your heart just a little bit. It's yeah, beautiful. okay. I get what you, I I get it. I get the I get the vibe. Mm-hmm. Do you think with that lyric, like if if you're willing to write a song about wanting to exist in somebody's heart, don't you think you probably already do a little bit? They're probably not. They're probably aware of you. They're probably there's probably the, a little bit of you in there. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 My 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 part about. Uh, that I like best about this is where she says you could you know push more just a little because she knows it's like she knows the whole dance they're doing and she confesses to knowing it she's being vulnerable more vulnerable with him than she she is with anyone else in their written forget this scene but in the other discussions and talks and walks they have she's being more vulnerable with him he never takes advantage and she's just letting him in and being like I don't want it to change a lot, but you could push a little bit. And yeah. I, Which, you know, her whole, I should say her whole life, but for much of the past few years for her, at least uh, it's been men who have been pushing too hard. Yes. Right. 
Yes. So, right. right. So like, so that's nothing, that's something that she would probably never consciously say to someone. Right. I want you to push because she's so used to being pushed. Right. And so used to be taking advantage of, but this is different. She can recognize that this is different. And she's like, maybe, maybe you could push a little bit. It means so much that she's been willing to say that, I think. Correct. Yeah. To him. Yeah. So sweet talk. Sweet talk. Yes. It's sweet. It's sweet talk. It is. It's flirty. It's revelatory. It's honest. Yes. But it's also, she's a little bit high. Yeah. <laughs> it's that. On, 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 <laughs> on sweet, sweet dinner resin. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I assume you've put together that her name is Denna and this drug, this sweet drug that you get addicted to is called Denner. Yeah. Yeah. So if we were saying her name with an English accent, we'd probably say it like Denner. We, Denna. Probably, we probably would. Yep. Yeah. So coming back to all this flirtatious, you know, delirious talk, the chapter opens with, you know, her being very inviting to him to join her in a, a bath of, of, in a stream that is like doesn't cover her at all and he's like there are names for people who take advantage of women who are not in, in control of themselves and that will never that that name will never be applied to me and i think you know pat gives us that at the very beginning of this chapter and he wants us to apply it to the whole thing not right. just to the bathing scene but to this whole chapter right yeah and if anything, the only way he maybe pushes too hard is in saying you shouldn't be with this with this patron, right? They've crossed that bridge a little bit before where she feels judged by him mm -hmm. for this patron, right? And that he's not maybe good enough and yeah. Yep. And then there's an invitation. Play you, with could, her. you could oh, be push, yeah. you could be my Prince Gallant. My Prince Gallant. Yep. It almost feels like, like she's trying to lighten up the situation a little bit. Um, but I think there's some sincerity that, to it. Yeah, as well. it also just feels honest. Yep. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. Yep. It's sweet. Hey Matt, do you guys do you guys have in your family? Do you have a bunch of big big spoons in your silverware? You got like little yeah. spoons and then big spoons. Yeah, we got the dividers in the in the silverware drawer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We got this littler spoons. Eat cereal with those. And you got the big spoons that you don't use as often. Well, I was just gonna ask, do you use those much? No, hardly at all. How about you? Yeah, no, I don't ever I mean, I use them for like stirring stuff. Mm. But like but I even have for some things I have even like bigger spoons that I use for that. Right? For sure, yeah. You got serving spoons. Right. So you got like the right. normal size spoons, you got the slightly bigger spoons. Yeah. And then you got like serving spoons. So the the slightly bigger spoons are just kind of lost. I feel kind of bad for them sometimes. Oh, I think people use them for like ice cream or like soup sometimes. And I, I prefer don't. the smaller spoon for Me those too. things. Me too. Okay. I, I don't know why. But I but I I just the spooning conversation just made me think about the big spoon. Okay. And I was like, you know those big spoons. There's maybe a metaphor in here. I'm not I'm not big on spoons. Wonder what it's like to be the little spoon. <laughs> I want to try it sometime. Like never been the little spoon.
I, I guess what I'm saying is I've I've never I'm I'm not I'm not sweet any spoon. I don't I don't use the big spoon and I definitely wouldn't work as a small spoon. Right. So <laughs> something out. Work something out. Yeah. Uh Padme and I have been married for quite a long time now. And so yeah, our our spooning lasts all of few minutes and then it's get away on to bigger and better things or get away like, yeah <laughs> <laughs> bigger and better things right that right i forgot that happens uh <laughs> but my, the whole falling asleep in each other's arms oh yeah, we're yeah. so far past that <laughs> i think i shared once on this cast already one of my college friends said once he's like sleeping with people actually sleeping not like you know sure sure the sexual activities sleeping with people's terrible it's way worse than just sleeping alone <laughs> but still i'd rather sleep with someone every night yeah just like yeah i just like the sentimentality this is what he said i'm not sure i agree it's... but the sentimentality of it it's nice to have someone close you know mm, but yeah, still yeah. but it, it's way worse like <laughs> like logistically objectively like it's just worse you're not going to sleep as well you know like uh, yeah. Boy, that king size bed. It sure is nice. It's a game changer. Yeah. The staying away is easy in the king size bed. Correct. Yeah. For better or worse. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, it's a whole mm -hmm. canvas on which to paint. Indeed. Shall we, uh, Touch some iron and pride. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Yeah, so I've combined two chapters here. The next chapter is called Touching Iron, and the one after that is a one-pager called Pride. So I'm just going to cover them both here. Good call. It is quite long. So uh, bear with me. The Dracus arrived after its summoning by the fire and ruined the cuddling closeness, the best moment of Quoth's life, as Matt depicted. Quoth grabbed the twine attached to the bucket of poison below and waited and watched as the Dracus charged the fire, smelled the drugs, and gulped down the entire bucket at once, then continued its ritual of putting out the fire, eating the logs that created it as usual before settling in the warmth of what remained of the fire as it did before. Well, that seemed easy. But it wasn't easy, because Quoth had hoped that the Dracus had swallowed six times a lethal dose of Denarezin. He expected the, expected the creature to skip the early stages, go right into delirium, paralysis, coma, and then finally die. Dead. Stone dead. From the poison. But it was all happening far too slowly. There was a bigger problem. There's a fire on the horizon. The people of Trebin were having their harvest festival, and the big bonfire was sure to bring the Dracus running, if it turned around and saw it. Quoth prayed for the Dracus to just stay where it was and fall peaceful into death. It's stone dead! It did not. A half hour after eating the resin, the Dracus is laying down, dormant, yes, but its head is still bobbing side to slide. It's not asleep, and the fire behind them keeps getting higher and brighter. The Dracus finally spies it, spits its own flame in challenge, and bounds away like a drunken puppy toward the massive bonfire. Quoth tries and fails to wake Denna before giving up, leaving her some water, and heading off to stop the Dracus on his own. Somehow. He doesn't know how. 
He bolts for town, stumbling and falling multiple times, and when he arrives, it isn't just one bonfire anymore. There are several scattered fires on buildings, and the townspeople have formed a fireman bucket line to try and put out the worst one. They're not panicking, to their credit, but Quoth needs to help, as the drug dracus rampages through town, continuing to make it worse. He jumps roof by roof to Trevin's water cistern, and uses a roof tile from one of the burning buildings, along with some sympathy, to link all the fires down to this one fire on this one shingle. Then he douses the shingle inside the cistern, pinning it to the wall with his knife. The water from the cistern ate the heat of the fire and diminished the flames all over town. The townspeople now have a fighting chance against these fires. Quoth then runs across the town and uses another burning shingle to light his resin bag on fire to draw the Dracus. Then he climbs a tree to get into the church roof with a giant iron wheel over the door that we talked about last episode taking a twig of the tree with him on the way. Standing on the roof of the church, he binds the giant nearby tree with the twig he took from it, lights the twig on fire, igniting the whole tree to again summon the Dracus, so that it was right under the giant iron wheel. Quoth clears his head, grabs his load and stone and his Dracus scale from his travel sack. He binds the load and stone to the iron wheel below him. He binds the scale to the Dracus. He drops the load and stone and it springs toward the scale it is drawn to. The iron wheel just below him does the same. Toward the Dracus falling faster than gravity would allow killing the beautiful creature below, just as the iron wheel killed Incanus in a story told by Trappus earlier in the book, as if Tello himself steered it with a vengeful hand. But there was no god guiding it, only Quoth. Quoth looked with some self-satisfaction over what he had wrought, the town he had saved. Then the roof of the church gave in below him. He tried to jump to the safety of a branch on the burning tree. It snapped. He fell. Quoth hit his head and was enveloped in darkness. Pride goeth before the fall, man. And that's the end of those two chapters. Oh, you took my line. Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a Bible one. I should have saved that one for you. Is it? It's, I think it's Proverbs, isn't it? Sounds like Proverbs. Sounds like a proverb. Yeah. Sounds like it. That's okay. That's okay. And Pat, Pat sets it up beautifully with these two chapters, right? It's like he's he's feeling like a god killing this this creature with his wits and his magic that he's learned and feels pretty darn good about himself. Prideful. Save the town. And then he literally falls. Not a figurative fall. He literally falls. He just, yeah. Down goes brown. Down goes brown. That's, yeah. That's not a quote I knew. <laughs> uh, pretty sure it's a hockey thing. Oh, okay. It was, uh, it, it became like a little bit of a meme, a hockey player named Dustin Brown. Oh, okay. Taking an awkward fall. And then like a whole, I think there was like a, there was an internet account, a Twitter account called Down Goes Brown. I don't sure, know if they it's made still around. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it's commonly used in our house. Okay. A bit of a fact, you know, a hockey family. So I thought it, I thought it was going to be a bathroom reference. That happens. <laughs> now I feel like I've ruined the phrase for you. You'll never think of it in the same way. You know me and poop jokes. Yeah, I'm more than happy to unfortunately yeah. bring another one in. So this was interesting. Um both 
it, it's almost like a confidence builder that I'm starting to understand sympathy and everything mm -hmm. in that I understood what was happening. Yeah. Yet I feel like this was not one of his better explanations of using sympathy. Hmm. It's almost like he expected um, the chronicler to follow along mm -hmm. with what he was doing. You know, for example, he talks about a triple binding. Mm -hmm. It's going to take a triple binding for this one. Mm -hmm. Yet he really only talks about two things that he brings yeah. up. He talks about obviously the scale and the load and stone, the mm -hmm. scale binding to the Dracus, the load and stone binding to the wheel. Mm -hmm. Now I'm assuming, and maybe this will make me feel unsmart, that the third thing is the fire, maybe coming from the shingle, the energy that is required to make all of this happen. Am I wrong in that? I don't know. So I have a similar note about it. It's, you know, I said, it's, he says nothing less than a triple binding would do. What is the third part of the binding? Cause like you, I only saw two that were related to that. And I think it's because like you said on the fire, I put that away. feels like once he binds that the tree's flammable, it's full of leaves. Once he gets it to catch fire, feels like he can just put that away and not maintain that part of the ALR anymore to me. Right? Like he doesn't need to maintain that with the shingle. The tree's on fire itself. It doesn't need any more energy for him to provide. It's just the fire will keep burning, right? right. So I, I assumed that was separate. But as I read it, like you, I'm like, well, what's the third thing? Mm -hmm. I wrote it down too. So I'm I'm assuming, yeah, he is maintaining that. Well, it's like, okay, I got the fire. That was the first one. Yeah. And then the scale and the load and stone become the second and third. Because you right. are going to need a fair amount of energy right. to make that happen, right? And you we, would. of course, have known the, the body heat thing. They've made that very clear that that's important throughout the book. Uh, you know, took a tremendous amount of body heat just to move a small little yeah. straw or something. And now you've got to knock over a whole big wheel that's bolted to a big stone building. Yeah, it's interesting. I, yeah. The way it's phrased, I'll just read it. So, I took a deep breath and shook my head, trying to clear away some of the sluggishness I felt. I had performed two rather substantial pieces of sympathy in quick succession and was feeling rather thick-headed because of it. I assume those two pieces of sympathy are the tile to the fire with the water mm -hmm. squelching the fire and then lighting the tree on fire. So then he says, uh, was feeling rather thick-headed about it, but as they say, third time pays for all. I broke my mind into two pieces then. No, sorry. I broke my mind into two pieces then with some difficulty into a third. Nothing less than a triple binding would do for this. So it feels isolated from the other two things he's already done. But yeah. but like you, I can't I can't figure out what the third thing is. Unless the third is like that's where he's letting the fire part be in his mind. Like, okay, I'm splitting it into a third, and that's where the fire is. Yeah. And then But then where's the where's the cistern one? Yeah, is that on autopilot? <laughs> yeah. If he has well, to maintain the because he doesn't need that one anymore. Why not? Because it's already doing its work, right? Isn't the tree already doing its work too though? Like he he made it catch fire. Does he does he have to 
Does it, is is still it doing double it? duty? Maybe he's the still reason, feeding it from the shingle. That's possible. The reason that he said he uh, was doing it was to lure the Dracus, right? Mm -hmm. That was his ori original intention. Mm -hmm. He also mentions how quickly the tree burns up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he mentions that, was, that it was full of like the dry autumn leaves. Yeah. And so I assumed it was just because of that. Uh-huh. No, you're right, yeah, though. It does too. say the oak tree below burst into sudden brilliant flame. Even with the dry leaves, it probably wouldn't do that. So, yeah, maybe that's it. It's just weird because he says, he calls out that he's done two. I, I hear right? you. And I then you. the third time pays for all. And for that third time, it sounds like he breaks mm -hmm. it into, you know, three new Alars. But yeah. we're both, I don't know. we don't know. We don't know. Hmm. Uh, that's the one I'm going to stick with just because it's the path of least resistance it's the way um, you can get through it yeah <laughs> add it to the list of questions for when Pat wants to let us interview him yeah uh, I like coming, the in, use coming of, any day I'm sure for sure for sure I mean right before we have Beast on the podcast yes right <laughs> sorry Pat we'd love to interview you but Beast is uh, on the docket for that right moment. right so stand by not Kelsey Grammer either. <laughs> Nick, what's the other guy's name? Played him. Oh, first on class. the newer ones. Yeah. yeah, I don't know the guy's name. Me neither. Nick something. It's Nick something. Blood right. riders will tell us. We get some sigildry going on there too. Sigildry. 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 Yep. yep. Uh, he uses Ule and Doc and Pezen, right? Mm -hmm. I looked As him part up. Of those bindings. Oh, yeah. Okay. Ule and Doc are both. Remember Quoth's little song he made up? Yes. Kind of like a passing thing. Yes. Ule and Doc are both for binding. Huh. I don't know why I got to use both of them, but. Uh huh. Yeah, just, I don't know. Yeah. And Peasant is, is a sigil for water. Okay. For water, so it would make sense that he okay. used that one. Right. So he right. So he inscribed on the on the uh, tile. Sh the shingle. Yeah. Okay. The binding. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Cool. So we talked about the Denerism not killing Dracus. You got any theories as to why it didn't work? Is it just too big? Is it that simple? Is there something else going on? Um so this was this was not my idea. This okay. was read about. I'll give credit where credit's due. Okay. I would not have thought of this on my own, but it makes sense. Okay. Uh, remember he, and maybe you'll think in the same thing. Maybe you did think of it cause you're pretty smart, but for the listeners out there, remember Quoth gives Denna a bunch of charcoal to eat yeah, to dull the effects of the resin. And we find that the Dracus is accustomed to eating burned up trees, all of those things. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if that had the same effect on him that his body had actually built up a tolerance mm -hmm. over time uh, to the dinner resin mm -hmm. through eating all of the ashy trees and burnt up stuff that he'd been eating. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they, they add to the, the dinner ball, the, the thing, because they're like, Oh, it's been eating those maple trees. Maybe it has a resistance already. Um, I did wonder about maybe eating the fire logs Right, yeah. Burn trees that that might act like charcoal too. 
Mm -hmm. I went back and looked at the, when he's talking about the charcoal and it seems like it's a, the, the nature of charcoal is kind of what seems to, to soak it up, but maybe, maybe the wood does a similar thing. I do have, yeah, I wrote that down as a note is the wood acting like the charcoal does is, do we have something, you know, Dana talks about how the, the creature just has like fire inside of it somehow, you know, is it maybe burning it up as it's getting consumed so that it has less of a, it's less potent. Um, yeah, I don't know. Right. I don't know. Regardless, yeah. regardless, they done, they done messed it up. I wonder if the whole amount would have done it. <laughs> yeah. He died before we could find out, uh, of other causes. Yes. Large iron wheels. Large iron wheels. What? Why does Adrakis even put out fires? Is that ever explained to us, or do you have any thoughts as to why? Why is he drawn to it? Well, good question. It sounds like so they eat trees. That's like that's what they eat. Um, but it sounds like they smash them and light them on fire to eat them, right? Mm. Dennis says something in one of the earlier chapters about well, if it didn't have some sort of instinct to put out fires, it would burn its whole home down in the forest, right? And there'd be nothing left. So it's got instinct in itself somewhere to put the fires out. To self-regulate a little right. bit. <laughs> yeah. I, that's just Dennis' theory. It's not mine. But yeah. it, I just kind of take it as take it as true, I guess. Mm -hmm. But but yeah, but also Quoth keeps saying he you know he spews his flame like a challenge to other fires you know or or, or a greeting i think he says it might be a greeting too so like he sees this giant fire in the town he's gonna go put that one out or it seems like he just keeps lighting more things on fire so i don't know it didn't seem <laughs> like he was trying to put that one out oh you think your fire's so hot <laughs> yeah Check this out yeah yeah or it was just crazy at that point and looking for dinner resin sure and we don't know what you know wasn't even trying to put out the fire mm -hmm. yeah all right quoth i didn't want the deaths of innocence on my conscience yeah that does check out yeah we talked yeah. about the you know we spent we spent a lot of time sadly talking about the one chapter in tarbine the one chapter. And right yes. after that, he tells the chronicler, bones mend, but regret stays with you forever. Yes. And it motivates him to do things like this. Yeah. And had he not done this, he would have, yeah, he would have had another moment on top of that, like the one on top of that roof where he didn't, he didn't do something. Right. Um, still, it's a creature, you know, many, many times its size and much stronger than he is. And so, Pretty commendable that he's able to do it. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's great. It also... Um, yeah. <laughs> you, you, you wonder about... Yeah, I don't know. You wonder about how true all of it is and if it's been exaggerated. We'll talk more about that in, in Day After Dark, I think. Sure, sure. But, from what we're right, reading, though. it's pretty I think, great. I think you're right, though. He would have, he would have totally regretted it if he not done something about this. He could have mm -hmm. walked away, and he would have been a different person had he not. Right. He did. 
Well, want to move on to the next two? Yeah, let's do it. Ash and Elm and Return. So another two chapter combo. Two chapters. Ash and Elm is one, and then Return is the next chapter. It's another one pager. Both awakens bandaged and hurting everywhere in the room of an inn. That was phrased badly. The room doesn't hurt. Both awakens bandaged and he's hurting everywhere. And he's in a room in an inn. A girl enters. Nell, he decides, and confirms that no one died and that Denna, his cousin, had not come into town. Quoth, despite his massive list of injuries, makes his way downstairs to the same bartender from scene 24. He demands traveling supplies to go look for Denna, but when the bartender replies with attitude, Quoth turns to anger, using some sympathy to burn a drab into the countertop before demanding his supplies again and threatening the bartender that he will burn the inn to the ground if the bartender doesn't bring them, bring the stuff he needs. But all that haste and all that anger pushing through all his hurts was for naught. Denna had left the Greystones on the top of the hill with all of Quoth's possessions behind, and Quoth was left to worry about her safety and wonder if she hated him for leaving, remembering her words as she once said, I leave where I'm not wanted. Quoth was in a dark place. He returns to town, grabs his boots and knife where he had left them at the cistern, and when we went back to the inn, he was waylaid by the mayor and the constable. Both in no mood to talk, lets them ramble and says little himself. The town, apparently, was convinced the Dracus was a demon, that it was responsible for Mothin's farm as well, and they had eventually come around to the conclusion that this young boy had killed it. They buried the Dracus and all those valuable scales that we just talked about in a deep pit like the children's song tells you to do with elm and rowan and ash branches. The mayor and the constable really just want to know if the town is safe. Quoth says yes. Mostly. But first, he needs to know if anyone knows anything about what Mothin dug up on his farm, asking them to send anyone with information to Quoth before he leaves town the next morning. It isn't long before Nina comes to Quoth. Mothin had dug up, dug up a pot, apparently. A pot with Chandrian painted on it. Chandrian and their signs. The writing on it was foreign and Nina couldn't read it, and the picture of Cinder with the white hair and black eyes gave her the quote-unquote all-overs then Nina breaks down, terrified that the demons will come for her since she was since she saw the pot. She's distraught, and Quoth can see that no words will help reassure her. So he presses a piece of citadry into her hand, something that will ward off demons and keep her safe, he says. He has her attuned to it, something totally fake that he does by reading some lines from a play that she doesn't know. So that even if she loses this little bobble, she will still be safe. It will protect her always. It's all garbage, of course. But it will fill the girl's days with peace, knowing she is safe, even when she loses the charm, as she inevitably will. Saving this girl made Quoth feel like a true hero, and he wants again to tell us that if we are looking for a reason for the man he would become, look here. The next morning, Quoth leaves, takes a boat downstream back to the university. He inquires after Denna at the docks, and she had been through. She'd actually come by and taken the boat. Quoth was relieved at her safety, but wondering how she felt about him. She felt abandoned. Upon arriving in Imra, he cleared his debt with Devi by giving her the Lodenstone and one single talent. And then he has a billion apologies to make to teachers for missed classes, to friends who thought he was dead, and to Ankur, Ankur whom he had uh, skipped on two nights of, of music playing. Denna also was nowhere to be found. And that is the end of the chapters. 
Yeah, does it did it like blow your mind when he mentions that it's only been three days since he'd been attacked in that alley? It's my first note. It's been three days since those thugs stabbed him. Three days and one hundred pages of text. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it it did blow my mind. Maybe if I'd been reading the book faster, it wouldn't feel that way. But like you said, a hundred <laughs> pages of text. It has to. Yeah. That was wild. Yes. That like blew my mind. It it's it's very it's one of the reasons I like that. I think I've told you before. I like this section of the book, and um, you know, I think maybe they aren't your favorite chapters in the book, the stuff with the Dracus, but it feels it feels slower. It feels more like a fantasy epic oh, in absolutely. some ways, right? And it's less it's less choppy, right? Um, it's this you know, strange detailed sidebar, yes, exactly. Just yeah. yeah 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 and then and he's I'll, just back at the university again yes right it's it's a very it's a very strange thing and i don't know if it means something it's um, got to yeah yeah I, we yeah we get so more in Debbie after dark, but we get, <laughs> we get stories from other storytellers, right? In this book where Foth is listening to other people tell a story. We have Trappist doing it. We have Scarpy doing it. We get it in a wise man's fear too, without spoiling anything specifically. We have these examples of other people telling tales. Quoth himself, quote, is telling this whole story, you know, to the, to the listeners in the tavern in the end, his, his end. Um, and, this feels more like him telling a story. Is this him a legend feels, story? Yes, it feels like a him legend story, and almost like the the Teluin and Conus story, almost like the story of Lonre and Salitos. Almost, you know, so, some of these stories that he hears other people tell. This feels almost like one of those. It's much more focused in a scope of a, a small period of time. It's not spanning a whole a whole term or a whole semester um it doesn't skip days and weeks at a time it's very linear right i like that um good because i'm making it up right now it's not in my notes mm. but, but but it but i i wonder <laughs> well i wonder if it means something mm -hmm. that we're getting it in this way it's got to and yeah we can come back to that and Debbie after dark, maybe. And like sometime, somehow in hindsight, he now recognizes the significance of that. Yeah, right. And we talked about, uh, what was it called? White mutiny? Mm-hmm. So we'll come back to that concept too, because I think that might tie in. <laughs> Interesting. I'll be honest with you, pal. This is so judgy of me. This is so incredibly judgy <laughs> of a man who's never saved a whole town. <laughs> but doesn't it feel just a tiny bit presumptuous when he's like, he tells this very detailed story about how he saved everybody. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I'm not a hero. You know, the time I really felt like a hero was just helping that little girl, you know. Yeah, right. No big deal. Like, yeah. As sweet as that moment was. Yeah. <laughs> The uh, cynical doesn't always come out version of Matt is like, oh, dude, shut up. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, you're, I, I see what you mean. There's like this, 
big momentous event that surely will carve itself into his memory and, and he be knows it too that's why he remembers. told it so it's in such and a detailed told, way yeah, so much detail he know he knew that right and yet the thing that really mattered to him was just this one girl who's just a girl who wasn't in any real danger yeah. who he just gave peace of mind to but at the same time that is a super sweet sentiment it is yeah and it warmed my heart at the same time i was like oh come on dude like it's also a different kind of hero it takes insight 100 to her as a person specifically but also just into the human condition and knowing she's going to lose this thing and knowing that she doesn't understand the way the world works and that demons aren't real and all these other things you know so it's a, a different kind of hero he's playing it's more the not the man of action but the man of insight right mm, i like that a problem solver not a not a hero in the traditional sense and there's no stakes to it which yeah, almost can, makes yeah. that that he did it almost more meaningful yeah right yeah he had the stakes out there the night before of a whole town is going to die if i don't do something to him there were zero stakes to helping this girl yeah and he did it just to do it. Just to do and it. not only that, it's like, well, take this. It's good luck. Now get out of here. It was, he goes through the whole thing mm-hmm. of, yep. you know, charging it up as it were. <laughs> yeah. Saying it's connected to her forever yeah. and yeah. doing all these little things. So, you know, I bash on him a little bit. It's also incredibly sweet that he would take the time to mm-hmm. really, really make that little girl's day. Totally. He wanted something from her. He got it. He could have just shoot her away. Mm-hmm. But he saw something, you know, a weakness and something that was really going to make her life more difficult. Mm-hmm. And he did something about it. And a lot of yep. people would just, eh, you know. Yeah. Uh, so I feel slightly bad for judging him. Eh. But if I'm being honest, that's kind of what I thought at the same time. I think but we're I meant still to judge him. That. He's very flawed. I think we're meant to. <laughs> Big big breakspear energy. He big breakspear energy. He kept the the bandage on his head. It might be the only thing keeping my head from falling into several different pieces. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> well, I did. Well, good old Baylor breakspear. Well played. A little breakspear. The only good Targaryen. Yeah, I said it. The only good one. One hundred percent. I don't mean it. I, I like do. A, I like a few of them. Not very much, though. Alisan is a good turn. Alisan, Alisan. Danny is, she's got problems, but she okay. What's well, different podcast? Actually, yeah. it's not. It's the same podcast. <laughs> it's the same podcast. Gobble's fingers, different, buddy. Different episodes. People would say that we're actually on topic right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that little. Some would. Some would. <laughs> uh, do you want to talk about the Chandrian signs real quick? Because I. Oh boy. I talked about it briefly in the summary, but. Didn't go into all the details. Yeah, uh, yeah, that pot has pictures of the Chandrian, a woman causing a uh, that looks like it's causing a rusting sword. Yeah, uh, man, man next to a dead tree. Dead tree. So he's the guy that has the, you know that maybe brings. We've talked before about like maybe each of the Chandrian has their own sign, or you know to get all the effects, they all have to be there. But you could just see one if one of them's there, right? Uh, so there's a man that causes the destroyed wood tree. There's a man being bitten by a dog. Yeah. Interesting. I don't, I'm not sure what sign that is. Maybe he makes animals go haywire. I don't know. Uh, man in hood with mirror at his feet and moons over his head. No face under the hood. No face under the hood. I think 
um, more about that in Devi After Dark. Um, I mean, I think we know it's that sounds like Haliax, right? But um, who we've a little been bit introduced to. we have, but a little bit more in Davos After Dark too, from some things from a Wise Man's Fear. Um, and an, another woman with some of her clothes off, which yeah, which Nell is a little bit. Uh, Or sorry, uncomfortable it's Nina with this time. this one's Nina yeah Yeah, a little bit uncomfortable with. Uh, so yeah, that's interesting. We didn't get to hear about all of them. Two, four, five of the seven. let's see one two three four five six we had one with white hair and black eyes too Oh yeah, sorry. I forgot I forgot Cinder. I think yeah I didn't note him because it's obvious that we've heard that one a lot. <laughs> All right, so we have six, that so we're one's missing not a mystery one. yeah Interesting that we're missing one. Um, true I think we can, yeah, we, I guess we don't really know. There's, there's a good bit in a wise man's fear, which is, I suppose it's spoiler to go through it, but, um, that talks about the different names they have for them. You could probably, uh, probably do some, uh, some whittling down to figure out which one's missing. But, it, but I think more interesting is the fact that he didn't, didn't, that he omitted one. Mm-hmm. Right? I smell what you're stepping in Yeah. and I will just tap the side of my nose. <laughs> okay. All right. Don't be too hasty. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's a Pippin Good impression, old Pippin. everybody. Yep. Yeah. Pippin. I, I got it. Well, thank you. Whew. Not Uh... great at accents or impressions. Uh, <laughs> Don't whoop. be hasty. That's my tree beard impression. <laughs> that's true it's cool that uh, we get we get a little slight spoiler into Quoth's budding ability as a namer Uh Yes, I have a similar note. Go ahead. he guesses the name of Nell he's like Yep. she looks like a Nell sure enough Yep. her name is actually Nell and then the next one is what Skad Nina. Verania or Verena. Uh, but he's like, nobody calls you that, though. I bet I bet they call you Nina. I bet And you she's are like, Nina. son of a... Yeah. You're right, dude. Yeah. How do you know that? Yeah, and we saw this with, uh, with the horse, too, right? He names the horse without knowing. He names him one sock. Good callback, Like, like and he ends accidentally. up being a one sock. Yep. Yep, yep. Yep. Yeah, Quoth has a good, a good handle on... on picking what things should be called and named. Yeah. Um, we talked about Master Ash. Um, you know, the fact that that could be, I don't remember whether this is crossing the line or not anymore. That could be like a reference to Cinder, right? Cinder creates Ash and he just picks Master Ash, um, you know, kind of out of nowhere. Uh, So this naming ability is starting to yes. manifest itself in very innocuous, It is. innocent Yes. way to start out. Yes. But judging by what's going to happen in the next couple of chapters, Yeah, we'll get to you that. know, we see, The sleeping mind and the waking mind, right? yeah, you start putting puzzle pieces together Mm -hmm. and you see breadcrumbs. Yes. I like the way Pat does that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I have anything more for this section. I do think it's funny that after you, you kind of brought this up earlier that after this very detailed set of chapters on this little sidebar journey slash adventure, it's like, 
yeah, then we got the boat back to uh, the university and I talked to all my teachers and I talked to anchor and I apologized to everybody. And it's like two paragraphs of him coming back. Yeah. I did all these things you don't need to hear about. that are not interesting. Right. Whereas for me, you know, Matt wants to hear the apology to Fela. He wants to hear the, yeah. Yeah. I want to see what it was like with Will and Sim. We do get a little bit of that. We do get some of it. Yeah. Um, just a quick callback. This means absolutely nothing. But the tinker that Quoth got the lodestone from said, if you take less than 18 talents for this lodestone, mm-hmm. you're cutting a hole in your own purse. Yes. He got 19 for it. Yeah. Don't so, don't don't mess with tinkers. They know their stuff. Good That's job. Their livelihood. Yep. Tinkers yep. are uh they're they're like I don't know. They're they're like a a secret you have to earn, but once you earn it in this world, you can really benefit from it, right? Mm-hmm. But taking not taking advantage of them in a bad way, but taking advantage of them, right? And their knowledge, usefulness. Yeah. So I got. All right, let's move on. A sudden storm, Matt. Even being back at the university, Quoth, as you can imagine, was in his constant perpetual search for who? For Denna. So it was a bit of a surprise when he literally ran into her one day on the streets of Imri. She was excited to see him, but before he could reply with much, she quickly introduced him to the handsome, obviously well-bred man she was with. His name was Lentarin. He reeked of money, Quoth thought. Speaking as though by code, Denna made it clear to Quoth that Lentarin was not Master Ash, don't worry, and that she was disappointed that they'd been separated that night on the hill. She said she would come find Quoth soon so that he might finish his story he was telling her before she and Lentarin hurried off to a writing appointment. Later, while Quoth was slumming it with Will and Sim, the topic of Denna inevitably arose. Will was confused by one bit of her story. Why would she hunt for Master Ash with Quoth if she already knew that he was safe, as she later confessed to Quoth? To Sim, the answer was quite simple. She was into Quoth and just wanted to spend time with him. Even though Quoth is always looking for her, she always seems to find him first. You know, at Anchors, at the Aeolian. That could indicate Will jumps in that she spends a fair amount of time looking for him. Look at it from her perspective, Quoth. Get outside yourself a little bit. She's obviously stupid for you, Sim proclaims, and you're just plain stupid, so it's a great match. That's cute. I love that line. Just then, Will's face drops as he notes Quoth's loot case, which Quoth had laid open next to him so his loot could get some sun. The loot was no longer in the case. It didn't take him long to find it, not more than a few feet away, in the hands of Ambrose and his gang. Half furious and half afraid, Quoth demanded the loot back, and Ambrose replied by playing a rough, not even that funny song he'd created about Quoth, treating the loot, as Quoth said, as no loot deserved to be treated. Give it back. 
or I will kill you, Quoth calmly demanded. Fine, Ambrose replied. Catch. Quoth did not catch the flung loot. And as he bent to pick up its pieces and noted Ambrose's smug face, something erupted from his throat. Not a howl nor a cry, but a word he, quote, did not know and could not remember. Wind suddenly roared into the courtyard, scattering everything from people to papers to carriages. Ambrose, however, bore the brunt of it and was struck to the ground as if by the hand of God. The tempest did not last that long, and after it had abated, Will and Sim rushed Quoth away to the mutters and the witnesses and the frightened gaze of Ambrose, deciding to take him to Kilvin. They explained everything to the master artificer again as Quoth sat in a daze, sore in both throat and body, but with a white-hot coal of anger still burning deep within. He felt numb to everything around him. To everyone around him, it seemed he'd gone dumb. He wouldn't speak, and when he looked at someone, it seemed that there was nothing in his eyes. And it was Master Elidin, who entered the room unannounced, that was able to break whatever spell Quoth had set upon himself. He forced Quoth to say a word, Erlevsedi. Listen to the way he said it, then gazed deep into Quoth's eyes. But not just his eyes, Quoth felt him staring deep down into his soul. Elidin then leaned in close to Quoth, spoke a word, and the storm within Quoth stilled. Now this was very sudden for Quoth, as if he'd been spinning around and around and around and suddenly stopped. He nearly fell over, but by the time he'd recovered, Elidin was already gone. As if by magic. That's it. The greatest trip the devil ever pulled. Uh, convincing the world he didn't exist. Oh. Did you already see that one? The uh oh gosh. Oh gosh, the name is escaping me. Kevin Spacey. Crime drama. Oh boy scared. Oh boy scared. <laughs> Man. Oh boy. It's like a classic. It's fantastic. <laughs> oh, I can't believe it's eluding. That explains me. why I haven't seen it. Uh, embarrassing it'll come now if it was a classic teen coming of age story (laughs) i'd have already told you the title it's kevin Kevin, spacey doesn't do many of those it's got kevin pollock in it kevin spacey it's got uh, benicio del toro in it uh oh man dang just star studded and you got nothing it's embarrassing what's happened to you yeah i don't know my memory's going there i'm getting old (laughs) Uh, it's like I can picture the cover. Like I like anyway. I probably watched the movie a dozen times. The depths to which you've fallen, yeah, man. It's really sad. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, okay. Uh, oh, what do you think, dude? Well, um, so he called the name of the wind. Clearly. Right. Uh. When Elodin shows up, uh, he asks him to repeat the word, Erlef Sedai, is how I'm saying it, but who knows how you say any of these words. It's lovely. Uh, Sim says wind, as right. if 
when he said to Erlef Sedai what Sim heard was wind, mm -hmm. but Quoth heard the word. And so he knows the name of the wind because he heard what Elodin really said. Yep. Which is this weird thing in this world where if you know the true name and you say it, people that know the true name will hear it as you said it, and people that don't will just hear, it, hear its common name. Mm -hmm. um, and that's usually depicted in this book with you know the the italic <clears throat> writing. Um, and it seems to be even even in the story when he doesn't yet know the word because he's telling it as coat in the future and does know the word, he still sometimes uses the word if he knows it. He did that earlier when Elodin broke down the wall. It was like cyber salient or something. He mm -hmm. didn't know that word at the time, but he knows it now. And so he's able to say that word and we see it in text and italics. Very weird storytelling, but kind of cool. It is weird because like would the chronicler hear wind? The like, chronicler would if, hear wind. Right. Yeah. So maybe Quoth has to like, or coat has to like spell it out. He's like, I know you hear wind when I say that, but write this A E R. <laughs> I don't think he does. I think he just says the word. Chronicler writes wind, but and just like all the stories we ever hear of them relating the stories of Table and the Great, they all say he said stone and the stone fell, right? Mm -hmm. Because nobody ever transcribing those stories ever knows the names and so they just write stone but here in 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 the book that's supposedly well, chronicler's have... <laughs> book we see it in italics and everything is that how you've been reading this you think what we're reading is chronicler's version of the book absolutely hmm. okay it's not you're right well, it could be maybe that's what rothfuss intends i don't think so yeah anyway but it's it's a very interesting device, I think, that he's using. Um, anyway, it's cool. Um, so it, it's kind of proof to Elodin that because he could repeat it back to him, that he knows he actually does know the part of him, part of him that's weirdly asleep or you know whatever it is that's happening to him right here. You know that it knows it knows this word. His mm -hmm. his his brain knows it. Do you want to come back to the Willem thing? The uh, the hole in her story? We kind of sure. covered it already. Mm -hmm. um, I guess the, the, mo the, the, the most interesting thing about it here is that, you know, well, you get Sim's explanation that she's just into him and just pretends so that she can hang out with him for a while. And Quoth kind of tries to entertain that for a little bit and then brushes it off. But he seems to kind of just be okay to let the mystery go, which is a little unlike him. Yeah. I would, I could see this being a bright, shiny object that his brain won't let go of. Yeah, she did tell me that. She had told me she needed to look for him. Then she told me he wasn't there. That doesn't add up. I have to solve this problem somehow. But right. he kind of lets it go. Is that because of his feelings for her? I don't know. He's willing to gloss over certain things. Yeah, it could mm -hmm. be. It could it could be that he's um yeah, maybe he's afraid of the answer. Right. You know, like what I want this to be simple. You know, mm -hmm. like I don't want it to be this you know, I don't want her to be I don't want this to be bad news. Right. Maybe. 
we kind of overlook things like that as humans sometimes, don't we? Absolutely. Absolutely we do. No question. Hmm. I did notice a little bit of symbolism in the uh, fountain. They talk about the satyr chasing the nymph. Yeah. Ah, uh huh. <laughs> Yeah. Satyr's uh, not quite human, generally a male figure. Uh huh. Generally depicted with a permanent erection, if that means anything. Is it? Yeah. I don't remember that from the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Oh, boy. C.S. Lewis uh, <laughs> PG'd it for sure. no kidding. It's funny, satyrs are, are in D&D, &D, and I've seen them a few times crop up, but I don't remember that detail being being listed anywhere. Probably cleaned it up for D&D, &D too. They've Look already up got Seder, the whole man, Satan-worshipping because I did. thing. Yeah. They probably don't want the... <laughs> Satercock involved as well. but it is interesting that, you know, then he finds her. Yeah, after calling out that little bit of symbolism in the fountain. Yeah. No, Yeah. that is interesting. Just a fun little bit. That's the kind of stuff I like with these stories. Yeah. I'm like, you could take the Chandrian out of these books completely, and I'd still <laughs> just be like, I've said that before. yeah. Yeah. I just want my, I just Just want give my me the teenage teen drama. rom-com, man. Yep. That's all I want. Yep. Well, then, speaking to that part of you, aren't these rich kids she dates ever sickly? Don't, don't any of them ever have they just, all like, look great they clammy eat well dude skin or, like, gray oh man eyes or, like, they they eat need well glasses? they have access to all the best health care like these are just Yeah. robust young men the one thing i do like about this lintaran kid is uh there seems to be like zero jealousy or anything Yeah. he's just like hey both nice to meet you man And then he Yeah. allows them to sit here and have this obviously like inside slightly flirty conversation. And he's Yeah. just like, I just imagine him sitting there smiling, just looking up at the sky, just like, He have is your either combo. completely dead weight in the brain category Sure, he could just be a complete meathead. or so overconfident that it doesn't it doesn't matter Right. to him. But yeah, I imagine being in a conversation with these two is you know like being in a conversation with the two of them and yourself. is like those romantic comedies where you know, like the new fling comes along and it feels like they're the third wheel, even though they're on a date with the person. Right, because of the history Cause between the, the, the other yeah, these two. two best friends who are obviously the audience knows they're in love with each other, but they, you know, everyone sees it, but themselves, Yep. I watched, I watched earlier this week, uh, a new movie that's on Netflix called players. Hmm. Uh, it's got Gina Rodriguez in it, whom Okay. I really like. And it was, it was funny. It was really well done. Uh, I mean, don't show it to the kids, but as, you know, somewhat raunchy romantic comedies go, I really enjoyed it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, friends have this chemistry that like you're watching and you're like, huh. and if Lynn Taran had anything other than a boulder sitting on his shoulders, he'd be like, there's something going on here. <laughs> Some, something. as they're walking away he's like who's that guy Yeah. how do you know him Ta -da. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. he just seems happy to be there Yeah, yeah. Looking he's at the like sun, yeah if telling we hurry the time. we should still be if we hurry we Yeah, should still we make can. it Yeah, we'll be okay. Uh, it did make me think that whole staring at the sun to get the time bit about whether they're going to be on time. Like, it'd be really hard to make plans if clocks weren't, like, readily available. Like, you'd wait an hour plus for someone to show up just because, like, 
was I early a yeah, little bit? Just like that window of time. Late? Like, yeah, there's a window I, here. I like just understood that it's getting on to afternoon. Yeah. You know, but like maybe they, you know, I don't we're know, like, we still... live in like a five minutes is late exactly. society, but for them, it's you like give an hour. The sun's over there now. They're getting late. It's yeah, been a bit. exactly. Like not you there can't, anymore. It's there. You can't plan a busy <laughs> afternoon. You got like you're squeezing in like one to two things in an afternoon. Right. Tops. You're not like this store. Meet this guy. Go do this thing. Like nope. Nope. You're doing. Nope. You're doing just the two things. Nope. <laughs> and in between, there's just going to be a lot of standing and people standing watching. around waiting. Yep. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, what'd you think of this whole moment with Ambrose well this is obviously uh, let me let me (laughs) preface this then I want to hear what you say it feels like this is meant to be you know the book as you mentioned is called the name of the wind and here he calls the name of the wind I mean this feels like almost the pinnacle of the story you know it's been leading to kind of this in terms of quotes development um, it launches him into a new stratosphere. You know, what did you think of it? That's interesting the way you put it. It's it's the pinnacle of the story in the same way that we all waited for Luke Skywalker to show up in episode seven and we got him at the very end of episode seven and it was like a letdown. I, not, I don't know what I expected him to do with the name of the wind, but it is the name of the book. And... I don't know. It's cool. What he does is cool. I I like what happens following it, like mm-hmm. the trial and how they explain it, and the you know expulsion and all that stuff that's coming. Um, I like the result of it, but the moment itself, I don't know. It just it, it, didn't, it didn't do a ton for me. Did you? Yeah. You? No. I do like uh, the how it's connected to the loot. Yes. You know, obviously that loot has become such an anchor piece in his mind. Yeah. From obviously it being the one thing he had left when his Mm -hmm. family was killed to that one, to that loot being destroyed in Mm Tarbine to how it kind of became a bit of his saving grace in those lean beginning years at the university when he's able to buy one. Yeah. To now, um, to now this. Yeah, he should have dove at the stone ground and just like just allowed it to like land on him. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Right. Instead of like It's interesting, isn't it, how he's like he he's giving his loot human qualities. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. He need needs to stretch in the sun. The loot might enjoy the feel of a little sun on its strings. Mm-hmm. If you aren't a musician, I don't expect you to understand. I'm a musician. I don't understand. You understand. I, don't, <laughs> I don't want the sun. Like, it's not great for it, you yeah. know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, the song Ambrose sings. Uh, Blame. You know, insulting, but like, there's no rhyming. That's what I was going to say. There's, there's no sense of, of meter to it at all. The it's iambic like, pentameter like, is, is, yeah, that's a big <laughs> phrase. It's missing. It's not there at all. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Non-existent. There's, let's see. uh, One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight syllables, seven syllables, seven syllables, eight syllables. Like if you try to like 
it try to like work. chop it up a few times. It, it does, and yeah, it, it doesn't work. Yeah, like I can't no. figure it out. It's no, pretty there awful. once was a rabble named Quoth, whose tongue was quick at quipping. The masters thought him clever and rewarded him with whipping. It's like it's like he okay. did it on purpose. Like if he had said and rewarded him with a whipping, like even that sounds better than and rewarded him with whipping. Uh huh. Like yeah. it's like it's like Pat tried to make it sound jarring. He he, he talks did. about Ambrose's sure. poetry like it sounds like a a kid with a broken leg falling downstairs or something. Remember how he describes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ambrose's poetry? This is a good example. It doesn't sound good at all. It doesn't sound great. No. Well, and the reason is obviously because he's trying to mimic what Quoth did to him. Yes. He wants a viral video. Yes. And he doesn't get it. Like, But you'd think he would be, I think Ambrose is the type of guy that would actually, maybe not, maybe he's so vain he doesn't care, but I would think he's the kind of guy that lays awake at night some and is like, I'm going to write some verses that suck for him. Oh, 100%. I'm going to be ready to do this when the time comes. Mm-hmm. And it but, ends up being awful. But it's and he tells everyone, like, sing it with me. Yeah. And yeah. as far as we know, nobody did. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's like, how? It does no sense of form or rhyming or anything to make it easy to sing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. He raised his hands like an orchestra conductor congest- uh, gesturing with my loot like a baton. But there's no, there's no sense that anyone joined in. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah. Crickets. Uh I only have one more thing for this chapter, and it's back with from the Debbie stuff. Uh and I, I've got to start oh, checking yeah. myself because the seven word thing happens a lot. Mm. A lot in that section. And then I started talking I started looking at some of the things that Loading says to him, and that happens there too. Mm. And so I'm starting to wonder if seven is just a really common number of words for a sentence. And that I've been overthinking this whole thing. It is possible. But she does it a lot. Mm -hmm. Denna does? She does it a lot. Quoth does it too. Yeah. But I think she does it more than he does. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Someday maybe I'll just go count all of them. Go back through the whole book again. Yeah, I mean, I only have to pay attention if it's a Denna chapter. Sure. Uh, you got anything else? Lord's work, Scad. No, no, I'm ready to go on. Hands against me. Hands against me. Uh, Quoth slept a full 18 hours. I would love to do that. Like, I can't sleep five hours anymore without having to go pee. Sure, it's a prostate issue. Um, He slept a full 18 hours before being called to appear before the masters on the horns. Okay, great. Quoth had formally accused Ambrose of theft, destruction of property, and conduct unbecoming a member of the Arcanum. Ambrose, bruised, limping, and in a sling, had accused Quoth of malfeasance. It's a great word. I like that word. Malfeasance, Mm -hmm. for which, if convicted, Quoth could be whipped and expelled from the university. After hearing both sides of the story, the the masters began to look at all the charges. Ambrose was convicted of destruction of property and ordered to pay Quoth nine talents and six to replace his broken loot. 
The penalty for theft was up to two lashes and a talent. And Kvothe surprised everyone by not seeking any lashes. He'd be the bigger man here. But the talent he'd take. Hem, of course, voted against all of these actions, while almost every other master voted to convict Ambrose of bold charges. Uh, Just in case anyone's keeping score. For the charge against Ambrose of conduct unbecoming a member of the Arcanum, Quoth sought for Ambrose to be expelled, citing the fact that a person of his nature who demeans a fellow student and destroys the only thing that student holds dear is not someone they want to send out into the wide world as an arcanist. Uh, specifically remembering the reputation that had built up over the years of people of that title. Uh, Despite this compelling argument that Quoth saw had swayed at least some of the masters, the vote to expel failed and Ambrose remains a student. Now, on to Quoth and his charge of malfeasance. The penalty, as we mentioned, was lashings and expulsion from the university. Yes, you can do both. Uh, Quoth's claim that he had no idea what he'd even done was heard, but not heeded. And the vote to expulse passed unanimously by all nine masters. Final verdict, six lashes and expulsion. Quoth's life was over just like this chapter. Mm-hmm. Did we decide to combine this one? Because I can just keep going you. if so. If you want. Or we can you. talk about it a little bit and just jump right in. I don't have much on this chapter, to be honest. It's a it's a trial. Uh, yeah. They argue the merits of the case. We can talk about that a little bit. I don't have much, though. Do you? Um, Just that this university discipline, we've talked about it before, it's effed up beyond imagination. <laughs> A little bit. So many things wrong with this. Yeah. Like, obviously, uh, the fact that you can whip someone and then kick them out just feels <laughs> like wrong to me. Can we do it in the opposite order and I'll just leave? <laughs> right. Like, we're going to whip myself, you. Save myself the whipping. And then we're going to let make you leave. Yeah. Like, just yeah. kick them out. Yeah, What's the true. whipping for at that point? Yeah. Um, There's no due process, it seems like, in any of this. Mm. Like... Quoth, it happened yesterday. He slept for 18 hours. Then he immediately has to get on the horns. Like there's no time to even really figure out what he, what he did. You know? Yeah. I just thought there should be some time for due process here. There's got to be a happy medium between um, finding stolen unreturned document, unreturned documents in July of 2023 and starting a trial. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And you must stand trial the very next day. Right. And then be whipped the following day. Uh Uh-huh. There's gotta be some, some happy medium. Some sort of between between. the two. Right. Uh, Whereas destruction of properties, like I just got to pay for it. That's it. Yeah. Right. That's the only penalty for that one. Just pay for it. No big deal. Yeah. Uh, I did enjoy the little logical sparring about, Sure, it's, it's, I didn't cover it here, but it's ridiculous to argue that you can't destroy something you've stolen. Of course you can, right? So he stole it and he destroyed it. Oh, but, which is a good argument, but why should you have to pay for it twice? Mm-hmm. Right, like 
the effect on you is that you don't have it. Correct. Whether you stole it and destroyed it or just stole it and didn't destroy it, you don't have it. You just need to replace it. Mm-hmm. So you should just pay it once. Right? Like, even though I appreciate the logical argument, you should only have to pay once. Right. Right? Like, it didn't, I mean, it hurt you psychologically. You pay you for the item. It, yeah. And it's the psychological <laughs> damage that was done, I guess, is worth P- another talent. Punitive, punitive damages. Yeah, 83.3 million extra dollars. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, perhaps. Um, so I enjoyed the chapter, but I don't have a ton to say about it, I guess. Yeah. Um, Kilvin didn't vote for, uh, didn't, didn't back both on the suspension vote. A few nope. people did, but Kilvin did not. Nope. Uh, and Lauren does. Mm-hmm. So it's not, not all politics and popularity then. Seems like they are, you know. Yeah, there's some pragmatism. Or, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Some principles, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Even just like how they get an extra half a vote, the chancellor gets that half a vote. Yeah. But there's nine masters anyways. Yeah. You'd think the half would be the tiebreaker. Yes. But there's nine, so there's already not going to be a tie. So what's yes. the half for? It's completely yeah. unnecessary. In in case... In case uh... You know, maybe they don't always a, have nine voting sitting, members. Yeah, maybe a, a sitting member, master has to go get surgery or something. Yeah. And can't be rushed back to hold a vote. Yeah, yeah. That's what I thought, too. Maybe they don't always have nine voting. I mean, it makes sense. They must get vacation occasionally and go somewhere. Yeah. A load and certainly can't be trusted to show up <laughs> all the time. Or like if there's one where, I mean, actually, I guess we would have already had it, or there's a conflict of interest. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know why him should have been able to vote on his own trial the first time. Sure. Right? Like, that seems not very fair. Yeah, sure. You're somewhat biased in this. Yeah. <laughs> Since you're the one bringing the charges. Yeah. yeah. 100%. All right. All right, Clarence Thomas, get out of the chair, man. <laughs> well, the good news is that Chapter 86 happens immediately after Chapter 85. Yes. Right after. Very. This whole... That second. I love how like Rothfuss writing chapters is literally just like throwing darts at a board. No sometimes idea. it's half a page. Yeah. Sometimes it's 12 pages. Yeah. Sometimes it's two chapters that really should have just been one, probably. It's like going to know. the Fey realm and coming back. How much time passed? <laughs> no idea. In this case, for all you D D guys out there. It's the very next line. Uh Quoth couldn't wrap his mind around what had just happened. Expelled. He was expelled from the university. He barely heard the chancellor ask, as was customary, if there were any that were in favor of suspending expulsion. And all, all, starting with Elodin and accepting him, raised their hand. Expulsion repealed, the chancellor declared, and then asked almost expectantly if there were any further issues. Elodin spoke up immediately, saying, I move that Quoth be raised to the rank of Raylar. The motion passed with everyone, again except him, voting in favor. The chancellor hastily declared the motion as passed. Quoth would be raised to Raylar with Aelid and his sponsor and adjourn the meeting. I spoke that very quickly because it happened very quickly. Mm-hmm. Quoth was as confused as anyone, especially Ambrose, when Elidin invited him to go for a walk. As they were walking, he explained the history of the of the university and how early initiates initiates into the arcanum proved their worth by demonstrating they could see things for what they really were these were the elir 
or seers. To advance to Raylar, which means to speak, they had to learn to speak names, which Elodin explained are what shape the world. A man who can speak them, he said, is on the road to power. It was magic, real magic. He then explained that what Quoth had done yesterday was call the name of the wind, and the wind listened and obeyed, just as, and he demonstrated, by calling over an errand boy by the name of Nathan and asking him to take his robes to his room. Nathan heeded Elodin because of Elodin's authority as a master, and just like that, the wind heeded Quoth because he was Raylar. But Quoth still didn't understand how he called the name of the wind if he didn't know how. Elodin explained that each person has two minds, a waking mind and a sleeping mind. The waking mind is what we deal with every day. It's thinking, it's talking, it's reasoning. But the sleeping mind is the most powerful of the two. It's the part that dreams, that remembers everything, that gives intuition. It knows the name of things that the waking mind doesn't. Quoth's sleeping mind was awakened, apparently, through the trauma and strong emotion caused by Ambrose breaking his lute. Like a hibernating bear jabbed with a stick, Elidin says. The waking mind didn't know how to handle the arousal of the sleeping mind, which is why Quoth went numb. What Elidin spoke to him in Kilvin's office, then, was a name that settled the bear and put it back to sleep. They needed to rouse it a little more slowly to bring it under Quoth's control. This was all nuts, and Quoth still didn't understand. Elodin empathized, explaining that naming had to be experienced. It couldn't be understood through description and just talking it through. He compared it to describing the color of a passing boy's shirt. It was blue. But what does that mean? How do you describe blue? You can't. You understand it, but you can't describe it. It's just a word, not a name. A word would be like a painting of a fire, he says, but a name is the fire itself. But, he confided, there are other ways to understand what blue is. And he pointed to the sky. Blue! 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 That's the end of the chapter. Elodin is like a child with this naming business. I love it. He's so excited. Uh-huh. Right? So it's enthusiastic. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's adorable. Right. It rings true even if you don't understand it. Yeah. Like I heard it in a in a church setting once. Mm-hmm. Um they're like, because you're trying to describe what it feels like to feel, you know, what we'd call like the Holy Spirit or those feelings of mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit. And it's kind of indescribable. Yeah. And it's like uh, one guy was saying that he was just trying to describe it to somebody. He's like, well, I really can't describe it. And the guy said to him, well, then how do you know you really felt it if you can't describe it? And he said, well, you know, taste this and a little packet of salt and put it on his hand, tasted it, and t- put it on his finger and tasted it. What does it taste like? Well, it tastes like salt. Yep. Okay. Well, describe salt to me. What does yeah. salt taste like? Well, it's not sweet but it's not bitter. And the guy stopped. No, no, you're telling me what it doesn't taste like. Tell me what it does taste like. Mm -hmm. Describe it to me. And you really can't. It it tastes like salt, right? Right. Uh, It's the same thing here. So it's kind of a little mind effort, but 
Yeah, it's true. And we kind of, I wonder, like, yeah, it's like salt is unique enough, but like, we don't need any other words for it, but it's yeah. just salty. It's, it's salty. Yeah. It's an adjective and a noun. And you recognize and, it in other things, you know? You, yeah, you don't need any other names for it. It is what it is. But you're right, describing it, giving it properties. Well, you could you could describe, you know, its graininess, but that's not about its taste. Mm -hmm. Taste is just salty. That's enough. That's, right. that's we we know what it is, and so that's enough. Yeah, it's it's interesting. And he he talks about using words to describe names as you can't do it, which is kind of same similar to the story you just told, right? You can't use words to describe names. Names are can't you can't do it. Mm -hmm. The fire itself, I like that uh, that line too. I also like words are pale shadows of forgotten names. Ooh, yeah. Meaning like, you know, it kind of alludes to the fact that maybe more people used to be able to name, right? Mm -hmm. But then they they kind of lost the ability or forgot how to see maybe or, you know, something practice and fell out of practice. And so now they've just, they just use these words instead of names that are just pale shadows of the things that more describe what they are, but don't have their essence of what they are. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. More Is on it, that later. More on that. More I on guess. That Cause Maybe. we don't get much here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I guess, uh, you know, we get some background Ehlers and Raylars and, mm -hmm. you know, the story he tells it, everyone at the university sounds like back then in this, I, I think of it loaded in this chapter. He's like a, he's like a guy that loves old timey baseball. Like he knows, like he studied the old, the old greats, right? He knows all about them. Murder's Row. Yeah. Like, yeah, he knows, he knows all the old guys. And he like wishes we were back in those days, a simpler time or something. He he seems to kind of want to go back to this smaller university where these hidden arts were more the focus than yeah. all these other things. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like these words, you know, the Elyr came, like everyone is given the assumption that they have the ability to see the world to some degree, right? And that when they can start putting names to that, that's when they get elevated. Right. Yeah. At least at least on the naming side. But there's all these other disciplines, right? There's like the sigillary stuff and there's the medica and there's alchemy. Like it seems like you can move to Raylar and other disciplines that have nothing to do yeah, with Yeah, it's naming. become a yeah. Yeah. Right. But it's become synonymous, day, those levels. Yeah. Right. But back in the day it was probably just about going from where you can just kind of see the world and you recognize things to like being able to identify them and name them. Mm -hmm. And that it was probably more like you just become a railar when you prove you can name something. Right. Right. Yeah. And I wonder if it all happened. He kind of brings it up that it's not something you get through books. You just have to experience it at some point. Yeah. And I don't know if everything back then required as traumatic an experience as Quoth had here. Yeah. But there is almost like a. But like you said, he's been building toward it, right? Sure. Um, that we've had several instances where he's noticed the pattern of leaves swirling around in a square or something, right? He even has right before he goes up to Trevin, uh, the night he gets stabbed, Alodin sits with him and they watch in the the palace of wind, or well, that's not the palace, the something of wind, 
chamber of wind something they watch yeah yeah the leaves go around and around and mm -hmm. he's he's all he's really out of it from being stabbed to the point where like his sleeping mind probably is the one that's processing this and learning right and so he, he did it even earlier in this chapter or maybe it was the previous one when he's sitting with will and sim and he's just he on the by the fountain the fountain that you talked about it was yeah it was one of the previous ones where he's watching the leaves and he's just kind of absent-mindedly answering their questions but he's really watching what's going on you know like i think it's happening to him more and more where he's able to like slip between these two states to see things as they truly are Mm -hmm. and, yeah and learn their names right that's interesting maybe explains a bit about the university now that you're talking about it in that way the university <laughs> why they have all these other disciplines mm. is to make them money. <laughs> it really is. Mm -hmm. It's a money-making bit because, you know, that's no way to build the basis of a money-making university of like, okay, you're going to learn how to see things. And at another point, it's different for everybody. Yeah. Right? You're going to have right. this experience that takes you up this path yeah. to Raylar where you'll learn the names. But it could, you know, it could take... Six years. months for this person, yeah. it could take years. Universities don't work that way, right? You yeah. get in a field of study and you have to do this and this and this and this, and you advance after this many classes or credits or whatever, mm -hmm. and you go on and on and on. So it's almost like that's why naming and all of this isn't doing so well at the mm -hmm. university because it doesn't make any money. Yeah. It's like... uh You can't standardize it, you know? Yeah, totally. And and there's no guarantees. What's the what's the R what's the ROI on this? Right. Right? But but if if they're if they keep enough people involved that have you know a secret society, if you will, that know the true value of naming and how much power and prestige and control and influence it can bring you, even if you have just handfuls of people that can do it to maintain that they can use the other things to subsidize the people Sure. like, like patrons, Yeah. right? Like back in the olden times before you just had to become an artist and support yourself and figure it out and do it on your own. Lots of ways to help artists get their music out there and stuff now. But like back then it was like, you notice talent and a rich dude would be like, got to invest. Maybe Mozart never delivers anything any good, but we got to invest in, this guy so that Mozart can succeed because one of them had to, but I don't know which one. You don't know which one we invest, right? We don't know which people are going to become real good namers, but we got this other, these other things making money for us to subsidize so that we can make sure that we support these other programs, right? This It's like lost, uh, this lost leader. it's like Kevin Smith doing what was the Bruce Yeah. Willis movie Yeah. Yeah. so that he could make Yeah. Yeah, uh, so cop he could make out. Clerks too or Clerks too, you know, like the movies Cop he out. really wanted to make. Yeah, yeah. 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 And Ben Affleck makes that joke too somewhere. He's like, <laughs> uh, you got to, was that in? I think, oh, I think it was in maybe Jane Silent Bob Strike Back. mm Where he's like, you got to -hmm. do, you got to do a safe movie and then you got to do, you know, a fun movie. And, and uh, Matt Damon says something like, and then you do reindeer games. <laughs> like mocking him or something. <laughs> Yes. Matt Damon who did the Great Wall of course uh, yeah Never saw it. I feel mm. lucky.
don't do not ever see that movie um yeah that's interesting i hadn't really thought about that that became clear just as you were talking about the different disciplines and everything but you're right about it's almost like they have these other disciplines to subsidize things and keep their eye out for people that have real potential because that's exactly what they did here right yeah like the clues and the undertones they talk about yeah. um, the chancellor saying things like he gave me a tired, kindly look. His eyes said he understood, but he had no choice to see things through to their natural end. Um, he knew what was going to happen. The chancellor did yeah. in terms of him getting expelled. And then more of like they knew the, the masters were just waiting for the expulsion to happen, to get it out of the way so they yeah. could suspend it and then make the motion to advance into Raylar, put him on with Elodin and send him on his way. Everyone except him knew that was going to happen. And him they talked about it also. They he did too. Didn't want to agree. In principle, he was yeah, like, I hate right. this kid. Yeah, I'm not going to do it. A token no vote. Yeah. But yeah, no, it, it, it was almost like a, they have a standing rule. Like yeah. kids, when we kids find will, a kid, kids yeah. will be kids and they do this sometimes. It's part of, it's a necessary evil part of the process. Promote them. Like yep. we got to put them in the program. Yeah. Right? Get them, get them naming. Activate code alpha or whatever. Yeah. It's yeah. like, yeah. What's the, the uh, winter soldier code words, right? <laughs> Give them the, activate them. Yep. Um, I'm, I'm thinking of the ones that uh, Black Widow says to calm him down. Oh what yeah. Uh, to uh, hold. Sun, sun's getting real low, buddy. Sun's getting real low. Baby, mm. if only. Mm. Mm -hmm. Scarlet would whisper that stuff to me. Yeah, here we are. Yep. We both like kind I, of like stare I, longingly I, off for a brief moment. <laughs> I feel like I tell myself every week I'm going to watch Marriage Story again, <laughs> and every week I don't do it. It's heavy, man. Oh, it's heavy, but it's yeah, crazy. yeah. Those ones you have to like be prepared for. You do. Yeah, Requiem for a Dream. Ooh, that's maybe the heaviest of them I'll, all. Yeah, I've watched it twice. It's like I can't. I want to watch it. I own it, but I I doubt I'll ever watch it again. Yeah, I've seen it's it too, once, and that it's was too hard. Yeah, that was plenty. Yeah, too hard. Uncut Gems. I've talked yeah. about that one. I've never been more stressed watching a movie than the Uncut Gems. It's yeah, it's a. It was great, and I was glad sure. I watched it. But I was just on edge the whole time. Yes, totally. Yeah. Anyways. Uh, yeah, that's about what I got. All right, should we go on to boldness? Yep. Both chats with his blood riders, Will and Sim, over the madness of Elodin. He may be his sponsor, and he may have saved him from expulsion, but the man is crazy. All the things he says about naming sound impressive, but they don't mean anything. While Elodin did save him from expulsion, he did not save him from the whipping, much to Sim's frustration, who thinks the whole practice is barbaric. And he's right. Quoth makes his way to Mainz to meet with Ari. He gives her honey wine with a question at the bottom, and she gives him a wooden ring that keeps secrets, but does not tell them. They settle in to share a meal together, Ari sharing that a wise mother owl has moved into the underthing, and that autumn leaves are blowing through as things are all a-rustle there. When Ari finishes the wine, she blows on the bottle and asks, Where's my question? Quoth asks Ari if she would show him the underthing. Quoth. I thought you were a gentleman. Imagine asking to see a girl's underthing. She's having a little joke at his expense, of course, and thinks it wonderful. But she agrees to take him into her home. 
Arya gives him the full tour of the pipes and tunnels that make up the Underthing, giddy and excited to show off her abode. Deeper and deeper they went. The Underthing was vast. And as they went deeper, the pipes were replaced with squared-off hallways, rotted stairways, doors on rusted hinges, a true ruin of former buildings. Through Bottom, name that Arya has given it, is a big room that neither of their lights could reach the top of. It contained big, ancient machines rusted over, and the wooden pieces sprouting fungus. Copper pillows also rusting over with verdigris, a word I had to look up. A three-story tall water wheel sitting in the middle of what looked like a now-dry canal. This was a functioning, advanced society buried hundreds of feet deep below ground. Machines whose purpose he couldn't even fathom, laying here for seeming centuries undisturbed. But there didn't seem... And that's how the chapter ends. There didn't seem. Next is an interlude chapter. Uh, Banger. An important interlude that we'll get to in our final episode covering the name of the wind. But for now, the mysteries of the underthing will need to wait. Because Remain the chapter ends. Mysteries of the underthing. There didn't seem. Dot, dot, dot. There didn't seem, dash. There didn't seem what? We don't know for now. Uh, I don't know if you detected this too, but I'm detecting like a little more sassiness through these last few chapters in Ari. close telling from Ari. Oh. You know, we got some of the of the little raciest racy jokes between Den and Quoth. Mm. He's he said he says this like funny offhand things that make you smile like. I was moving slowly to savor all the exciting messages my body was telling me, you know, like little bits of sarcasm and stuff. Uh -huh. The whole thing about keeping the bandage on to keep my head from falling apart. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, just in kind of like a meta way. I wonder if that's him like becoming more comfortable telling his story to the chronicler. You know what I mean? Interesting. Like he's settling Giving into storytelling mode. Yeah. Mm. And he's starting to give things a little more flavor. He's bringing up this funny joke that Ari tells him. Yeah. I don't know. I, 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 I sensed more of those moments. It seems like in these last, I don't know, 15, 20 chapters. I would, I would, at first I was going to say the way both pictures himself and the way he describes himself as the greatest storyteller ever, I'm a born actor, and he should be adding this color and flavor everywhere as soon as he started telling the story. But we also have, and you've mentioned meta, maybe this is what you meant, we also have the fact that Coat is, and we've, we've talked about it on previous episodes before, very much shifting between this old done man and these glimpses of his former self. Sure, yeah. And alternating almost between them, it seems, mm -hmm. at times, right? And so, yeah, maybe he just goes through, and maybe it's just an easy excuse for Patrick having good writing and bad writing, but like maybe <laughs> he's going through these phases where he's kind of at a good point and a bad point of his storytelling. It's interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. Yeah, there's definitely different feels, though, throughout. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, huh. yeah. I'm not sure I, I don't, I'm not sure I noticed it. We'll have to try to pay attention to that. I just noticed there were more times that made me go <laughs> like <laughs> little, little chuckles. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ari's was more of a, it's kind of funny. <laughs> oh, Ari. Nailed it. Ari nailed it girl. Uh, mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I went I went to the library and I got the uh narrow road between desires, which is the Ooh. extended version of the lightning thing. Or the lightning tree, rather. Okay. Um and I it's interesting. Uh-huh. It uh it just yeah, it just puts more flavor to Bast and his whole experience. But I can't I can't remember enough to remember how it really affects the storytelling of of the main series. But I think I'm gonna go back and read Ari's story too. Um anyway, yeah. 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 There's Sometimes more to Ari for sure. Sometimes you wonder if those little things are put out not so much to enhance or anything, but just to hold people over. Like, you hope not. Here's the granola bar. I hope not. In the purse. We talked about it before. This one feels like a money grab. It's like this story already existed and you just added to it. But he did like double its size almost. Is that why you felt okay going to the library? Because usually you're not a library guy. Usually That's, you're a, I'm just going to well, buy it. Oh yeah, I didn't. I didn't want to. I didn't want to support it. Yeah, but I. But I felt like. I felt like I should. I Not that you don't though. support libraries, but generally you're. A, I'm going to go and buy it. Yeah, I like to buy books. I like yeah. to. It's just pay your preference. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean they're richer than me, but I like to pay authors for their work, artists. And... Um, they do get paid to have their books in the libraries. We'll just point that out. Less. My. <laughs> My my mom, uh, when she was in New York, went to I can't remember the author's name now, but she went to a restaurant that this author, it's called Elaine's, is the restaurant, and he frequently mentions it in his writing. That and it's kind of known that he goes there, and she went there, hoping kind of like to see him, and and she she's like, I love your work. I have so your she did see next, him. Uh huh. I have your next three books on reserve at the library. As soon as they're available, and he's like, thanks for the support. And see, I was just reading a thing from like where three authors were talking about how whether they get it from the library or for buy it, they were just like, please, but maybe the we'll have to ask a though they were in different yeah. they're in different stages of life and yes, perhaps financially. Also, maybe it's changed. I mean, this story is 15 years old. Thanks for the support. <laughs> I guess. Uh, because the libraries have to buy the books, right? Yeah, but it's one purchase for They're buying hundreds or thousands bulk. of people yeah, to read it, yeah, right? Right. So instead of like them getting a hundred sales, they get one, maybe. I don't know. Or I mean, how, that's not how many copies the library buys. Yes, yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I certainly don't want to speak for all authors about how they feel about libraries. I, right. I mean, I didn't, I just meant to tell a humorous story. <laughs> I find it humorous. Maybe all authors hate me now. Uh, don't attack our libraries. Uh, it's quite enough to have a secret. Anything more would be greedy. Wisdom precludes boldness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it does. Quoth, quoth, are you listening? Are you listening? <laughs> uh, you know, there's room for both. There's got to be, right? Without people that... You got to balance it. Use boldness without wisdom, a lot of things would never get done. For sure. Yep. 
Yeah. What What do you think? Just this is really the last thing I have here, but what do you think we're meant to pull from this whole account of the under thing? Um, I think it's building to something right now. Uh, Elodin said the university was built on top of another university. This feels like it's backing that up, the old chairs and tables and everything. That feels like that was an old iteration of the university. Um, I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. I didn't, I didn't, um, Obviously, there's machinery down there. Yeah, that's where my head goes. He's, it feels like he spends a lot of time talking about the machines down there and mentions that he doesn't recognize them and what they do. No, he's not. He doesn't know all about all machines. But I wonder if we're meant to think like this was actually a more advanced society in some way. Mm. And the, like maybe they fell into a kind of almost like it feels like too far, but like almost like a Dark Ages kind of thing like we did. Where like civilization seemed almost, at least in some places of the world, seemed to kind of take a step back, right? Other lost, other yeah. civilizations were certainly progressing at that same time, right? But you know, the, the European civilizations like regressed for like several hundred years, right? As they kind of fell behind, and I, I wonder if something, you know, whether it was the creation war or something else that kind of caused them to lose this technology or the knowledge about it or put it away for a time because they thought it was driven by demons or what it was right mm -hmm. but he doesn't seem to really know what these machines are and he's a smart guy traveled a lot of the world seen a lot of things right so i don't know i, I wonder if we're just meant to think like what what was the world like before sure yeah a load in paints it is kind of simpler, right? Like a smaller university with, you know, this smaller sect of people that were very focused on the naming part. It seems maybe like it was more complex in some ways. Yeah. And it makes almost like the university, I don't know, feel less... The current university almost feel a little less magical. We've got the pipes and the stuff. Mm -hmm. It just feels like a shell on top of something that's a little more interesting or, you know. Yeah. And you got the four-plated door. <clears throat> There's this and great four-plated room door. There's this great big hall that's bigger than a cathedral underground. Mm -hmm. Like, and yet the university is just kind of this winding maze of buildings stuck to other buildings, buildings and yeah. mismatched crap. It kind of just feels like, mm -hmm. you know, this, and then you've got all this piping and plumbing and everything. This, this big piece, iron and rock and steel that's covering up what really matters. A three story water wheel in a man-made canal. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It, sound, it sounds, sounds interesting. Underground, yep. Yeah, and how did it get underground? Was it purposely buried? Was right. Was it some sort of natural event? Was it... He notes that there are windows in some of these things, it's, but it's underground. Bricked up, even mm -hmm. though it's underground. Yeah. Yep. Weird. I don't yeah. have much else. We don't have the answers. No. Hopefully we get them. There's a lot of answers to be told in the third book. <laughs> like a lot.
like <clears throat> Debbie after dark Debbie after dark uh you know the spiel blood riders unless you're listening to us for the very first time in which case consider yourself warned at this moment right now that we are advancing to a segment we call Debbie after dark where we talk spoilers we talk about everything that's been revealed in all of what Rothfuss has released so far and uh we mostly speculate a lot of speculating in an unfinished series uh, about what all of this means what all of this means yeah so if you don't want to be spoiled turn it off we'll catch you mm -hmm. next time but here we go and spoil is a little generous i feel like i i don't know i you know i keep finding more and more stuff out there um, mostly on reddit about this series but i feel like it's way less settled theory than sure. a song of ice and fire is right like it's a lot more stuff up in the air like a like settled. a rlj theory stuff yeah, like that which is exactly pretty set in stone there are some people doing some real good work on the on the reddit right to like nail this stuff down but to be honest a lot of it's older and then mm. it's kind of died down it's yeah. not very active mm -hmm. and so there's not much new emerging stuff but even though it's not active i wouldn't call it settled either it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like everyone landed somewhere right so it's interesting um so conjecture rather than spoilers maybe right conjecture after dark yeah exactly debbie after dark uh what do you want to talk about you want to talk about denna and how she died for two minutes yeah yeah she died and was like brought back she she says she had a pneumonia. sinister purpose yeah she says she had pneumonia when she was uh did she give a year she just said when she, she was, was two i think two yeah yeah died for two minutes she says i wonder if this all isn't some sort of mistake if i should be dead and when Kvothe listens to her, it feels like a faint crackling, like a paper crumbling. Mm -hmm. There was no wetness, no bubbling. I believe when someone has like pneumonia effects, it's kind of like a wetness that you hear in their lungs, right? Yeah, and that's what he's also worried about hearing for the effects of the drugs that she's on. Yeah. Like a slowness or like a, you know, something affecting her. This is time. kind of like a dryness. Yeah, a little husky. Yeah, not, not yeah. sorry, not husky, but like as of or pertaining to a husk not, uh -huh. hus not husky yeah um <laughs> huskish i don't know husk, husk like um husky so there's uh one of the chandrian is called uh pale alenta uh, pale alenta brings the brings the blight they say in uh, a wise man's fear when both is visiting another whole other society of people um Denna is described as pale pretty frequently. Um, she's dark, dark, dark features, right? Dark hair, dark eyes, but pale skin. Silent come and silent go is one of the phrases that actually Denna sings to him earlier a few chapters ago. 
um, when they're reciting things from the Chandrian. Um, and she very much leaves Which on it a matches limb her. quietly Yeah. and, you know, doesn't say anything about it. Yeah. Um, and then shows up again when he's least expecting it. Silent come, silent go. And so I, I can't remember how much of this we speculated before, but it almost feels like she, she like died and was reborn somehow. Maybe Yeah, not literally, absolutely. not maybe not literally like a, you know, actually died and became an, a new baby and raised up, but like her experience was wiped or um, transferred or to a you know new person or something, and it's been forgotten, almost like a previous like if she's a member of the Chantry and like it's been erased and only kind of comes back to her in bits. Right. She's maybe like enslaved them, like a I think we said like a sleeper agent maybe before. That's what comes to mind for me, yeah. Um, you know, I mean, the, the farm is, you know, we, we talked about like, well, how, you know, uh, how did she get the injuries, right? If, you know, did he really beat her or maybe she's the one that did the work and she actually suffered some injuries, Correct, right? While, while yeah. doing the knife and sword work, right? Correct, yeah. Um, you know, it's possible she did the work. It's just Chandrian work, and she she was summoned to do it. Um, I don't know. It, it feels I, there's a there are a lot of people out there that believe she is a Chandrian, or um, or that she's working very closely with them. Um, It's compelling. yeah. It It's compelling. you know she could be using they could be using her, you know, as a member of the Chandrian or. you know, just as a, an agent for them to kind of get to quote, we've talked about that before. There are theories out there that we, there's the story of the lackless box that um, they'll, you need a son that brings the blood to open the box and the, him being the son of the, of uh, the lackless family member that fled the family to run off with the Rue, um, his mother, that, that maybe they know they need him because the, the theory is about wall. If she was a channering, why wouldn't she just kill him? There's plenty of opportunity for her to do that when they're alone. And it's because they need him. They think they need him. So they're kind of like trying to keep him close maybe. Right. Um, Yep. and that would be a reason to kind of make her simpler. It's not, it's not a very nice way to put it, but like take away some of the chandry and harder edges and make her, just a girl if that makes sense Mm -hmm. right she's also the age stuff like she's it feels like she's been around longer than they say how old she is like both think she looks like she's a couple years older than he is but we have stories and memories from diok who tried to date her once like she yeah was pretty young when we talked about there's that a little a bit lived when it experience happened there yeah there's some there's there's too many stories she has about being in different places her really be as young as she is kind of would appear so um anyway it, there's just a lot there that doesn't add up with denna there's some there's something missing and i'm i'm starting to land on she actually is Lenta. i find it super compelling um if you look at it through those lenses and i admit that you kind of have to look at it through a certain lens but if you do you can see 
moments where he's almost trying to protect her with this story, right? From more obvious things of like, he only brings up six Chandrian, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Um, and I don't know if Pale Lent is one of them. I speculated she would be the one that was the woman that was without clothes. Without, it's half naked. Yeah. But, but I don't know that for sure. Um, but bringing up six and omitting one could be like mm-hmm. him keeping her out of it. Yeah. Um, one, of the, one of the theories that yeah. I'm reading, which is I'll just tell everyone and they can go, they can go Google it. But one of the theories I'm reading is called the purpose of the Chandra. And it's only five months old by a guy named psychological underscore day, six twenty five. If you just go to the King Killer Chronicle Reddit and look up the purpose of the Chandrian, you'll find it. But it has all sorts of stuff about who the Chandrian are, who might you can kind of get maybe who might be missing from the pot from that, but maybe not. I'm still kind of working my way through mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting for sure. Go look at it. Anyone anyone want, looking to go deeper on this, go go look that up. Reddit's definitely the place for those types of things. Yeah. Yeah, um, I like that he he's even like it was. He said it was also agreed upon that the demon beast had been responsible for the destruction of the Mothin farm. A reasonable conclusion. Trying to convince them of anything else yes. would be a pointless waste of my time. Yes, you know if it like what you were saying to if Denna had done the slaughtering, and he's wanting to protect Denna. Yeah, it would be a pointless waste of his time to try to convince them otherwise. Let them believe that it was the Dracus that did it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Don't be ridiculous. The last thing I needed to do was somehow implicate Denna in all of this. He yep. literally says it. Yeah. Right? That's the other like, one. He literally says, I don't want to. I, I, he's telling the audience, us, I don't want to implicate Denna in any of this. I don't want her like, to get in trouble. Me thinks the lady doth protest too much. Uh, you know, like he's by saying that he's making me think maybe she's involved. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting. At the very so at the very end of a wise man's fear, like the last few chapters, Quoth is in a random bar uh in Tarbeen, and he's listening to the stories of his exploits. He does, Matt, all the things he does in this chapter pale in comparison to all the shit he gets done in the next book, I'm telling you. <laughs> but he starts hearing the stories of him kind of catch up over the miles and roll into these bars. People are just telling stories about him. He's just listening to, to listen to them. But he hears the story of, someone tells the story of himself killing the bat, the black beast of Trebin. Mm-hmm. Even though the people of Trebin don't know him, they don't know his name. He never gives it to them. The girl, you don't know this yet, but the girl come a girl comes looking for him in a wise man's fear. It's Nina from Trebin and doesn't know his name and can't ask for him by name. They don't know who he is, but somehow this story has been attached to him as right. the stories rolled through and found their way to Trebin. They're like, oh yeah, we know that guy, redhead. He did this too. And they accumulated this story too. But he calls it the black beast of Trebin. And uh, he's he's about to hear, he says it, I was about to hear how I killed the demon beast when Denna actually opens the door with a friend of hers 
that she's on his arm, just like she always is on somebody's arm, gasping for air and she can't breathe, and Quoth saves her life. And so it's like he's literally about to hear how he killed this demon beast, and then maybe the demon beast herself comes in the door, interrupting the story. Mm. Right? Is it too is it too perfect? I'm I'm the white mutiny is is I told you we might come back to the white mutiny stuff. If the Dracus didn't exist and it wasn't real, and he's playing a little language games with this story he heard in this bar, saying the black beast of Trebin. Maybe it was like more like a demon shape or something that she could summon or become as Denna, right? And it wasn't a Dracus, but it was a black beast of Trebin. And then later, you know, the demon beast, they call it. Maybe, maybe the white mutiny is true, that the Dracus itself didn't happen. It's just the story he's telling to cover for her. Right. To keep her out of it, to keep her out of the story, not to implicate her in it, as he says. And really, it was her the entire time that he had to save from the town because she had a relapse in her training like the Winter Soldier or something where she went on a killing spree. And right. She, and, he had, and he had to stop it. Didn't in maybe even case, know what he was doing or how to do it, but he stopped her. He definitely stopped her because nobody died in Trevin. Right. She didn't succeed at all if she did it. Right. In which case, she did the Mothin Farm. Yeah. Right? Got her injuries at the Mothin Farm. He found her and stopped her. And then they met up again later or something. Right. It's very thin, right? It's very thin, but like he's being, it feels like he's being purposefully obtuse with some of the language in addition to hitting us over the head with the blunt hammer. Of she the white didn't mutiny, do anything. Yeah. Of the white mutiny, the, the previous chapters. Right. And, and right. then now reinforcing it with, I would never want to implicate her. Don't be ridiculous. Right. Yep. And the resin thing almost feels like, I saw a theory somewhere that maybe she purposefully ingested the resin mm. because then she would be able to tell the truth a little more. She could be a little more truthful for him. It's almost like a part of her is unwilling to be uh, wants to this, this agent or this Chandrian or something. Mm -hmm. You know, there's still a part of the old Denna in there mm -hmm. that desperately wants to get out and get away from all of this. Mm. And... Oh, that resin. Silent comes, silent go. There you go. She can invade almost like a. They talk about that in the story of Telu and and uh, Incanus about how the demons, the skin changer type people, can yeah. go inhabit the bodies. Mm -hmm. Maybe she's in there Something and she's fighting. That. Yeah, there's like it's it's fighting. You know, kind of the the New Jedi Order series that we were reading with Tahiri Vela. You know, mm -hmm. kind of having those two, two personalities. Yeah, the two halves. There's the real Denna in there that was able to come out when the Denna resin forced her to be honest and true, you know? Mm -hmm. And maybe that whole, you could push a little harder, Quoth, was like, mm -hmm. it pull me out of this, bud. Get me. Please yeah. Be my Prince Gallant. Like, yeah. be that guy. Yeah. You know? Listeners, this is all very thin. But it's fun. And most of it is coming out right now. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm not looking at notes because there are no notes. <laughs> no. 
Uh, yeah, do I have anything else on this? Let's see. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think there's something to it, though, for sure. Yeah. The... Like you said, there's quite a bit of protesting. And the Dracus is a nice, like you said, a Dracus is a nice device to take the heat off of Denna, right? Right. Oh, and you know what? Literally was distract them with a dragon story. It was conveniently burned and buried, and there's yeah. no evidence left over. Those those right. silly townspeople, yep. you know? Exactly. Yeah. They burned them. I don't even know where because I was out. I was, I was passed yeah, out. I was, yeah. They did it all while I was sleeping. Yeah. Asleep or up in the bluffs. Either one. Yeah. Those, those little turds, you yeah. know, darn them. <laughs> uh, we mentioned the, the pot and the um, Haliax with the hood. And it's, he's got a mirror below him and he's got moons above him. Uh, there's a story in The Wise Man's Fear about uh, a character named Jax who goes looking for the moon um, and finds it. And he can use it to kind of move between worlds, like through the Fey realm. Um, and that's part of the deal with Haliax is that he and the Chandrian maybe, maybe can, maybe can't, but maybe want to move through the Fey realm and they need the moon and control the moon maybe to do it. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot in Wise Man's Fear about that. We'll get to it, but um, I think that it confirm to me that confirms we know that Haliax is the one with the shroud over his head with no face, and the moons show me that he is also Jax from that story, which everyone speculated already. I've read that a bunch of times, but it's I think this is maybe the proof of where people believe that from. Very interesting. Yeah. yeah, probably. I'm down. You had a note about uh, if Quoth mm -hmm. reveals all he knows about the Chantry into Will and Sim, would that place them in danger too? Yeah, man. I guess this is actually something that could probably have been discussed in the regular portion of the cast. But what do you think it is that's holding Quoth back from telling Will and Sim everything? I mean, obviously he hasn't told anybody, not yeah. Denna, not anybody, the whole story. Will and Sim have invested so much into him. They've proven time and again that they're ride or die with him. Like, what do you think's holding him back from just letting it spill? Is it out of protection? It could be. We get a sense from him that you know, as long as well, you, you get the sense maybe in a wise man's fear more, maybe. You get the sense though that the Chandrian probably they probably need like repeat occurrences to really find people that are saying their name over and over again. That they found Arladin and the troop because he was practicing that song over and over again and they kept hearing his name. Sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He could and and they're he's using their actual names, right? I think he could probably tell Will and Sim about the Chandrian without putting them at risk. 
I don't know if he knows that, but if he just talks about them vaguely, like saying the word Chandrian, it's probably okay. But Right. if he starts talking about their names and their activities and things, it seems more dangerous. Yeah, don't say Voldemort. But exactly. But also maybe he also just thinks better safe than sorry. Don't bring it up. And oh, by the way, I don't really want to anyway, because they might judge me for it. Right. Is there still a block? There's still something that's keeping him from being able to completely confide in these people that are obviously have his best interests. Yeah, it's a little weird. Like, he should trust them. Like, Mm -hmm. But again, who am I to tell someone yeah. that they should or shouldn't tell about their traumatic past, you know, to Yeah. people, I guess. So I get that part too. But it's just interesting that he did open up to them more. But he said, so he says in that chapter, I told them about the Chandrum, but I didn't tell them the whole story. And that's fascinating to me. Like, where did he draw the line? Like, Yeah. I just have this unhealthy interest in the Chandrian and I wanted to go chase down this lead that I got. Like, at what I don't point did he, you know what I mean? I know what you mean. I don't remember what the text said, but I I feel to in my head it was he told them about the fire and the fact that Denna told him there was blue flame and so they suspect the Chandrian. But why did he leave to Trebin in the first place? Good question. Right? Yeah. Sorry to cut you off there. Did he he doesn't say, does he? I'm trying to find the the quote where he said It's a part of the storytelling he leaves out. it's it's I think it's in return. Uh most important will and Sam. There it is. Uh they were the only ones that got a real explanation of what had happened, though I didn't tell them the entire truth about why I was interested in the Chandrian. I did tell them the whole story and showed them the scale. So They like were appropriately amazed. Will's bullshit meter is really good. Right. And he should have said, why'd you go in the first place? Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm wondering is where he drew the line. Yeah. Like, I've just always been really interested in the Chandrian. Right. And But I not heard why. this lead. So I Yeah. went and chased after it, but didn't say, by the way, I'm interested in the Chandrian because I saw them. They killed my family. But you'd think, though, an inquisitive, maybe they were just so happy to have him back that they just let it go. Right. But you'd think an inquisitive friend like Will is, because he's his mind is sharp. He's like a very logical, like this, then this, then this, then this. Correct. That's Yeah. Sim's a bit of a free thinker guy, but Will is very methodical, right? Mm -hmm. I think Will should have been like, okay, you're interested, but you had to give up class time. You didn't bother to say goodbye. There was so much urgency to it. What's really happening here? Yeah. Like What's it feels going on? like You he know would what I have mean? asked, yeah, more Yeah. questions. I agree Yeah. with you. Yeah. Yeah. What is it that Frodo says? You keep your secrets You or keep whatever. your secret. You keep your secrets. <laughs> Yeah. All sassy. Mm Who's even saying that to him? I'm trying to remember. Is it Gandalf? -hmm. Oh, it's Gandalf. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. I just remember him being sassy when he says it. Yes. Yeah. Oh, it's when they're on the car the They're it's the very beginning. the Yeah, they're yeah, on yeah, the yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. When Gandalf comes for the party. Yeah. Got it. Nailed it. It's a good one. Oh, he's like, oh, you don't, you don't say. <laughs> All right, then keep your secrets. Yeah, it's a good one. Uh, you have anything else for Debbie after dark? no, I think the big stuff I wanted to hear your your thoughts about was about Denna and and all of this. So.
I don't know, man. My summary is I think she's a Chandrian. I think Yeah. I, it's where my head is now. And I don't, it, it doesn't all add up, right? Like you have to assume some really crazy shit's going on for it to be real, but, Right. but something's going on. So why not lean into the crazy stuff? Yeah, lean into the crazy. I think I'm leaning more towards the, in that regard, but with a little bit of Denna inside that's almost like fighting to get out, Yeah, like I like this that conflict too. within type I think thing. there's I think there's room for that within Yeah. within the Chandrian idea, right? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. Variations on a theme, as they say. Yeah. Like maybe it was a deal with the devil type thing when she had the pneumonia and her parents were like, Mm hmm. Mm. Will you save our daughter? Please save her. All right, we'll save her, but there's But a it's trade-off. going to be a Alenta inside. Yep. Mm hmm. Right? Something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess we'll see. Mm. You want to sign off? Yeah, we can sign off. Let's do it. Unless you have anything else. No. You got great thoughts and the world deserves to hear them. No, I'm going to, for my sign off, I've, I'm, I'm ready for it. Are you? Yeah. Okay. I called an audible on mine. Okay, go for it. All right. So this is Matt signing off. Um, that if you're ever wondering about a movie with Kevin Spacey Oh, and jeez. Kevin Pollock and Benicio Del Toro, <laughs> you're probably thinking of the usual suspects. That's it. Yep. You usually are suspecting that it's that <laughs> movie. I'm going to go watch it tonight. I'm not. It's no, late. you're not. No, you're not. It's very late. It's almost I didn't one want in to the watch morning. it. Yeah. It's one of the first movies my wife and I watched together, I think. No way. Yeah, I think Oh, so. it's got a history. I have a memory. Yeah. Uh, not of the movie's title, apparently, but I have a memory. Mm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. No, it wasn't like that. We were like 14. Nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We were probably 16. nice. But a Utah 16 is like everywhere else is 14, right? For sure. Uh, okay, Scott, signing off. And I'm just going to read you one line from this that I, I recommend everyone go read on the King Killer, uh, King Killer Chronicle Reddit. And again, search for the purpose of the Chandrian. And this says, the Chandrian destroy anyone who learn or have the potential to learn, but Lonre isn't Haliax. And let that bend your brain, because everything we've heard is that Lonre isn't Haliax. Why you do this, Scab? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good Why night, would the everybody. why would the Chandrian want to destroy anyway? Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Thanks a lot for that one. Yep. <laughs> Join us next time for the exciting conclusion. Yes, and I'll probably talk more <laughs> about this whole this whole thing. yep. You could do your homework so that you can enlighten us all. That'd be great. I will. I will do that. Save us the work. Thanks, pal. <laughs> Bye, everyone. All right. Bye, everybody.